are listening to Ya But, recorded at Crescent Lounge in Seattle, Washington. And here's your host, Vivian Gabor. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Which means we'll be really fun in the afterlife. <laughs> what? I can come back as a ghost and completely fuck with people? I'd yes, be the please. Best ghost ever. <laughs> because, like, I know the things that play well with people, mm-hmm. and I know the things that are too creepy, which in some cases is good because yeah. some people deserve to be creeped the fuck out. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, oh, plenty of people deserve to be. I had this creep the other day Uh-oh. on um, my pub tour. And uh, which I was covering for someone. I don't do the pub tours typically, but I was covering and it was a blast. I had this awesome group, save for this one asshole who at one point in time started talking to me about my ass. Ew. Yeah. And I'm like, see, here's here's the thing. You're putting me in this position where I have to be polite to you because I am dependent upon tips. Yep. But also don't talk about somebody's ass like that. That's gross. At least if they're not inviting it and we're not on a date or something. But just to talk about, like, no, no, yeah. dude, not okay. And uh, did you actually say that to him? No, because I couldn't. Because Ugh. it was like, and that's this is the weird. It's this really it's fine one reason line. I want out of retail. Well, and it's it's hard on the pub tour too because the pub tours are a little bit like I said something kind of sassy, but in a like ha 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 ha, yeah, kind of way, but not not outright like shut that the fuck down. Yeah. Um, and the pub tours, you can get away with being a little bit, like, saucy about it and being like... But I feel like you should be able to, because at that point, it's that's technically harassment, and you should be able to say, hey, look, we're not going to talk like this on this tour. Let's yeah, let's keep this fun for yeah, everyone, yeah. including me. <laughs> and when there's kids around, if somebody starts getting inappropriate, I can always point to, like, it's the family-friendly tour. Yeah. Ha, ha, ha. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, on that... <laughs> Hey, welcome. This is Yeah But the podcast. Are we even on? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Most uh, of it will make it in, whatever. Uh, I'm your host, Vivian Gabor. And in the bar today, we have Kim Douthit. Hello. Again, because I can't get enough of her. Basically, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if I had the ability, you would just be a co host if I wasn't, like, uh, leaving soon. If you weren't leaving soon, I don't know. I'm going to be in New York. September and probably again pretty soon after that. So which means we'll probably record like three more <laughs> podcasts just for the just heck of it. Just get them in. Just get them in. That's what Make she it said. happen. Oh, <laughs> God! Typical Friday night right there. <laughs> oh, tell me about your Friday nights. <laughs> <laughs> They're usually quite boring. I'm and sure. involve a lot of watching Netflix and Hulu. And chill. Yeah, not enough butts. Oh, yeah, butts. Yeah, right. Right. I'm sorry. Although I, <laughs> this is gonna be way TMI. <laughs> but uh, the podcast is called Yeah <laughs> Butts. We true. expect some butts. True, exactly. Yeah. I reached a new level of bitchiness mm-hmm. uh, the other day <laughs> when I uh, happened to invite over a couple of gentlemen to my apartment, <laughs> and. There was definitely chemistry between me and one of the guys. And then the other guy, there wasn't so much. Mm-hmm. And so under like the, the pretense of, we're going to find some more guys to come over, <laughs> me and the one guy got on our phones and we're like, how do we get this guy out? Like, what do we do? Don't do this. This is so mean. But like, I didn't, 
I'm not good enough in that situation to like figure out how do we say let's <laughs> not do this. It's like because hey, either way you're gonna hurt someone's feelings. Thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> you're great, but. <laughs> I ended up just being like, I have to go. Oh, and then got the other guy's number. Is like, we'll hang out another time. Oh, wait, this was your place. <laughs> yeah. So you were like, I have to go. So, so y'all have out. to leave. Yeah. yeah. So did you call the other guy or no text? Whatever no, it turns out he was from another city. Like, Aww. Um, yeah. So whatever. And whatever. He was cute. We had some fun. It, will this be part of your like uh, tour of the the u.s that you can like <laughs> pop in no and maybe because pop he's in. from dc although oh. we might be able to stop through dc briefly but DC's not cool long place. enough um we will be i don't know how long do you need i mean i may as well thank you for that lead-in right there <laughs> um myself and my friend gina tonic will be going on tour national yeah. tour um and we are going to be stopping in denver st louis um chicago which we are still looking for gigs in Chicago. So if you happen to have one or want us to come and serenade you in your living room or something, let us know. I kind of want you to do that to my cousin who lives in Chicago. Ooh, we should totally do that. Just yeah. like go caroling. Yes. Yep, I'm totally down because we're nice. both singing queens. Um, but we're there in the middle of the week, so it's been hard to find stuff going on. Oh, that's fair, yeah. Um, and then after Chicago, we will be in Columbus, Ohio, and then Baltimore, Maryland, and then New York City. Forever. <laughs> um, for more details on that, you can go to my Instagram, which I'll talk about at the end um, of the podcast. But you can go there, and I have all the dates and everything listed. So, I'm but still, it's going to be fun. I'm learning about so the Instagram thing. I'm getting better at it. I'm learning that this is apparently. It's the best. It is very cool. But I'm still, like, I'm not great at it. And it's funny because I'm real comfortable doing it on Twitter. Uh but the the hashtagging of things on Instagram, which is the same as the hashtagging things on Twitter, and yet I don't yeah. think about it the same way. Yeah. Well, and also Instagram has been doing this thing that's become kind of a big deal in the queer community called shadow banning. Shadow banning. Where if you hashtag, use the same hashtags on every picture, and they have to do with queer things, they filter those out so people don't see them as often. That's some bullshit. Yadas. What? So people are finding ways around that. So like if you if you engage people in comments and get more comments on your picture, right. they'll still show up even if the like Facebook, it's yeah, the algorithm it's of the yeah. whole algorithm thing. But why specifically then with with queer things? Cuz that seems because very people, pointed. Oh, it's very pointed. And very bullshit. I mean, considering Facebook still is banning people and like making them change their names back to their um, legal names or birth names. Which also and bullshit. Also bullshit. Um, so we still got some battles to fight here. Mother and Instagram is owned by Facebook, so it makes sense. That. Uh, uh. So uh, we just need to take Mark Zuckerberg down from the inside, and we'll be good. <laughs> How old is this child now? Can we get, can we recruit know, the child No, he's got to be like 38 now. <laughs> Zuckerberg or the child? <laughs> Zuckerberg. Oh. <laughs> Zuckerberg's like 80. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I have no, <laughs> Let's find out. Mark Zuckerberg. That's the beauty of It's 34. Oh, God. He's 34? Uh-huh. I want to reveal my own age. And he's worth $76.9 as of this June. And that makes me feel worse about myself. Fuck him. Uh, and he no, has thank you. two kids. He has two? But it two? doesn't oh. say when they were born. When they exited? When they <laughs> how that works right um, uh, yeah 
I just love it under personal life. It says Zuckerberg met his future wife, fellow student Priscilla Chan, at a fraternity party during a sophomore year at Harvard. Yeah, I have a lot of respect for you, dude. Love is. <coughs> I don't know. I have some friends who met. Um, because I'm not going to lie. I sometimes, and some of this was, I think, the attitude of the Pacific Northwest, which is not mm. super. I mean, UW has a fairly healthy fraternity sorority scene. If I, by I healthy, n- you mean. I, I mean, <laughs> health, yes, you're right. Healthy in that there are a, a decent yep. amount of them. Yep, yep. But I did not grow up with it being part of the culture the way it is yes. in some places. And so I have, in fact, a very good friend of mine who met her her long-term boyfriend at a fraternity sorority event and they are both were very active and, yeah. and and it's been a really it does happen yeah it, it, it's been a very positive thing it's, in their life it's easy to rip on fraternities and sororities but they do there are some that are good yeah and i i try to remember i say that, that. cautiously well, there's a lot of things i'm trying in my in my old age <clears throat> in, my, <laughs> in my advanced years um <laughs> i'm i'm trying to be better about some of my uh, biases. Some of my biases, and 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 it's yeah. funny because we, and by I mean you grew up in the area as well. Yeah, we do have something of of a liberal bubble in a lot of ways. We do. Oh, and we have a. There's very much a Pacific Northwest elitism. Oh yes, very that much. That I've so. started realizing recently, and yeah. one one reason I'm super glad I'm getting out of it. Yeah. So I can reassess that a lot more easily. But I mean, having conversations with people from the south. Is mm-hmm. real hard to me beca- for me because growing up, basically I was taught in school it was the Pacific Northwest and the South. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I know. what's the Mason Dixon line? Yeah. We don't need that. It's no. the Pacific Northwest and the South. And the South. Everything else is the South. <laughs> California is the South. We don't talk about. Well, it. it's Southern Washington, <laughs> right? That's um, how that works. But I was having a conversation like my best friend is like grew up partially, I believe, in Alabama. Yeah. And um, or Arkansas. One or the other. See? It's all the same to <laughs> it's me. It's all the same, except it's so <laughs> Except different. it's not. Or, um, and he was like, yeah, that's that's not the South. And yeah. I was like, what? And I was like, because we're going to St. Louis. And I was like, right. Missouri, in my mind, is the South. It's, it's and he's not, like, it's no. It's not the North. So. No, it's not the South. <laughs> <laughs> that's the Midwest. And I was like, no, it's the South. <laughs> Well, and, and like and my, I, my very dear friend, and she's from Texas. And, mm. um, and I utterly adore her she's an amazing human being and it's it's and we've had a few conversations about it too where i've sort of seen some of my own biases yeah against texas which oh, is oh i have so many biases because, because <laughs> texas is a it's huge it's its own country it's its own country it honestly it, should be <laughs> and it, it has though some extremely diverse mm-hmm. areas and 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 some extremely liberal areas yeah and so it's 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 really doing a disservice to lump and and I think this is part of of not just I mean the Pacific Northwest problem, but I think I think this is a democratic mm-hmm. problem, a Democrat problem, excuse me, um, where we there is something to be said for the like the liberal elitism where yeah. we have a disdain for anything that is not uh, the outer edges and yeah. the middle of well, the country. I think, I think a lot of that too is the difference in. Uh, what's the term I'm looking for? Not economic, but um, but it's, I mean, th- it's, there is a component of that in some areas, and education within Washington State. You have the coast, and then you have the agriculture. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Is you have the parts of the U.S. that are agriculturally based, mm-hmm. and parts of the U.S. that are culturally based. Yes, 
and the forms of income for both are very separate, which yeah. is why we have a lot of clashing between the two because we have it's different so interests and different needs. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of what the Pacific Northwest bubble is, is we're yeah. in this like, oh, we have a lot of international travel. We have a lot of this. We have a lot of culture. We have a lot of theater. We have a lot of art. We have a lot of yeah. music. And so we're just kind of stuck in this, and then we can't get out of that and mindset. And this is the only of, way, and this is the right way. Yeah. Whereas, again, I where I disagree with anyone who's going to uh, use religion to discriminate or mm-hmm. use anything to discriminate. Yeah. When it comes to other values, when it comes to other ways of living. Yeah. Th- there is not a right or wrong. My way is not better. My yeah, way is maybe better for me, but just, it's different. It's just different. Yeah. yeah. And so I think getting away from this idea that, I mean, even I think with, with college, when, when I was a kid uh, and before I was a kid, I spent like I grew up with the understanding that I would go to a four-year college. Period. Yes, same. Full stop. That was not, and and it wasn't even that. Not in a pressured way. It just was. That yeah. just was what you did. Uh huh. And yet, that is still a relatively new concept, and it's also something that we're seeing now as college prices get so high. But you have all these eighteen-year-olds who don't know what they're doing. Yeah. So who are getting heavily in debt to get English degrees or to get and get degrees, degrees that aren't even necessary. Just because there's that idea of elitism that you have to have it, otherwise you're not a person. Yes, where I look at one of my cousins who who, uh, struggled a little with what to do and ended up apprenticing, I think, first with a plumber. Which is such a smart idea. And and he's a contractor, and now he builds water filtration systems. And he probably does real well for himself. Holy God, (laughs) I will never make as much money as he probably does. And and he's a really smart guy, but he is, is... uh, he does better with things that involve uh, putting things together and, yeah. and and learning in a different way than sitting in a classroom. Well, even which is which is one reason. Sorry. Oh yeah, no. Uh, which is one reason why the idea that um, this is going real deep here, real fast, it's just okay. digging into that just useful in. college education that I had, <laughs> um, where Aristotle's idea of having the philosophers and artists at the top of the food chain and everyone else below it doesn't always work. No. Because you get really focused in on those ideals yeah. and the, the the headiness of it all, and you forget that there's a life happening underneath it. Well, and it's a really dangerous thing to say that my way of life, my way of thinking is the best way. Yeah. Uh, because there is there is no absolute when it comes to that. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, again, I you know, far be it for me to ever give my ex-husband credit for anything, but... <laughs> Uh, he, he is, God help me, a very intelligent person. Yeah. And he never graduated college. Yeah. And he was somebody who did, he, he self-educates extremely. He will devour information. Yeah. And, but didn't do well in a structured learning environment. And yet again, again, God help me for saying this, he is one of the smartest people I know. Yeah. And I will never admit to saying that, even though it is now yeah. committed to the airwaves. Well, and I'm the exact opposite in that I require an extremely structured atmosphere in order yeah. to learn. Because I want to know things, but I don't necessarily, I'm so Mm one-track minded that I have trouble finding the things that I want to learn and Mm -hmm. figuring out how to learn things. Come on, creating (laughs) podcasts. And so being in college, being in academia and around that gets me that information more quickly and more effectively than it does for some other people. Yeah. Well, and I'm somebody who... uh, 
I, I'm a perfect example of those kids who, like, I was reading very early. Mm. Um, I loved it. I loved reading. I still love reading. Um, but I was that kid. My parents used to reward my brother and I with books because mm-hmm. we both just devoured them. Yep. And and so even when we were playing sports, if we made a basket, we got a book. If nice. we got a, you know, if we got a home run, we got a book. And I didn't realize that was weird until some of my friends were just like, you get a book. <laughs> I was like, I get a book. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I was a kid who did well in school, in elementary school. It was easy for me. Yeah. And so even getting into high school, and I still, I did great in high school, but I could be really lazy because I didn't have to work hard for things to come easy. Yeah. Which developed not the greatest study habits for some subjects. Yes. And I was always... That's why I'm really terrible at math. Yes. Like reading and... um, languages and grammar and arts and things like that come very easily to mm-hmm. me because my brain is already programmed for that. Yes. And you already like it. So and I already like it. it so it I, yes. Versus like mathematics and sciences, I'm not as good at. Yeah. And I have trouble with rote memorization. So equations and things don't stick as easily. Yeah. And most teachers don't teach memorization no. tactics. They just are like, here's the info. Here's Go the for stuff. it. Well, <laughs> I was always... I mean, I was always in advanced math classes. I was always good at it, but I didn't like it. So, again, I was lazy about it, and yep. I didn't apply myself. Yep. And so, I mean, and that being said, like, God, I remember the day. My dad will never listen to this, so I can tell this story. <laughs> uh, I love you, Father, if you are listening to this. But I remember the day. I think it was junior high school. And, again, I was in the advanced math class, and it was a quarter report card. And I brought home a B- minus on my quarter report card. This wasn't yeah. a final report card for the semester. But, um. And I was taking additional classes. I was in debate. I was in drama. I was in, like, I yep. I was a well-rounded student mm-hmm. who had a B-minus in one class. And it wasn't even the for kids' yeah. grade. And my dad saying to my mom, do we need to get her a tutor? Yeah, I had that exact same and it, situation. It, that, like, it still sticks with me. Yeah. That really, really cut me because I... It, it, was, it wasn't good enough. And it was, a, yeah. it was, it was this message of... I, there is, there is again, there's value put to what my grades are yeah. in a way that's not just we want you to see, succeed, but... We want the grade. We want the grade. We want Because it's proof. a pride thing, yeah, yeah. It's a pride thing. And and I, I'm Ooh. sure that's not, you know... Uh, Come on, coffee sir. refills. <laughs> yeah, I, I went through a very similar thing in that I wasn't the best student for yeah. a very long time mm-hmm. through especially elementary and middle school. I was very spacey and very just kind of like, I don't really understand the point of this. I don't care. Um, While at the same time, my parents were like, you're taking this math class and you're taking Latin and you're taking this and you're taking this. And when I would get a bad grade, they would take something away. So like if I got a bad grade, theater was gone. And like so the things that I was loving were going away and things that I was good at were going away. So all I was left with were things that I was awful at and so I just kept feeling worse and worse about school and stopped caring mostly because I'm the kind of person that if I don't see it see something as being applicable in my life Mm -hmm. I don't take the time for it yeah and I'm sorry algebra will never be applicable in my life if I need to figure it out for a contract or something I'll hire a manager (laughs) but um well and that's not a it's a bad thing place to I mean again it coming back to like the trade schools and stuff yeah. I think America is one of the countries that still stays very rigid in how we educate children as they get older yep. because let's face it a lot of kids and you were one of those kids I was one of those kids 
we had a fairly clear idea of, of what we wanted to do what from we a wanted very to do, early age. Or at least a direction mm-hmm. we wanted to go or with. Or things that we were clearly good at and yes. enjoyed doing. And and I think yeah. we have, you know, like the STEM schools and stuff now, mm-hmm. which the STEM schools are fantastic, but you also then have a little bit of, of swinging the other way where yeah. you have these kids who are, you still need writing skills. Like yeah. everybody needs, you don't have to be good at just writing. Just some basic. But you need basic, you need to know. To be able to communicate, yeah, just... For email, if nothing else, we have become mm-hmm. such a society where we don't talk to each other. We, we email, we text, yep. we post. We, You need to be able to compose an email for business, period. Yes, absolutely. Period. Even in the arts, like three oh, quarters yeah. of what I do is sending emails and yeah. networking by texting and all that kind of stuff. And if I didn't know how to form a sentence, that would mm-hmm. not... Taking a step back for a second. Right. Because, again, that can be elitist. Right. Um, expecting perfect grammar from p- people is extremely elitist. But that being said, it's also elitist currently because we're not making it a priority in education mm-hmm. to make sure all kids have the same opportunity to learn it. That's yeah. why it's elitist. Not because it in and of itself, not that grammar is a upper class thing. No. When... Which can be easily proven because if you go and read, like, the Federalist Papers, mm-hmm. those were written for farmers to understand right. in 18th century America. Well, Shakespeare. Shakespeare was for the for the his servants. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was meant to appeal. And aqua- yet nowadays we don't necessarily, we aren't able to un- understand that. And even with my homeschooling background and my right. extreme background in grammar, like, I was doing grammar from the time I was born. Right. Took eight years of Latin had like Latin and Greek roots, flashcards, everything. I still sit down and try to read Shakespeare and <laughs> Federalist Papers and things like that, and I get confused a sentence in. When you, I mean, my background is oh, Shakespeare's probably my background. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but something that I'm I advocate for very very heavily, and in fact, to the point where I'll argue with a few of my English teacher friends about this. Shakespeare should not be read Shakespeare should be spoken spoken yep and that's where the comprehension starts to come in because that's where you can see listening to something as you're looking at it too you're doubling up yes and a lot of kids get I'll I'll teach Shakespeare to as young as is five six and seven year Mm -hmm. olds and you know, you break some of the stuff down for them and, and they initially read and they're like, I can't understand this, but you like, let's just take it line by line. Yeah. Read it out loud. What's being said. And when you, when you break it down, they realize this is not as scary as I thought Mm-mm. it was. And, the, and if you focus on the things that you know, as yeah. you're reading it out loud, you can then start to infer the things in between. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you're understanding what you're saying. Yes. And, and, now there are some things that you do need a dictionary for because right. they're just words we don't use and, anymore. And but phrases that aren't yeah. that we don't use and references to things that aren't. Uh, uh, Coriolanus is a great example to me of a play that. Uh, a you said anus. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. That's what she said. No. No. Uh, <laughs> um, there's. Uh, it, it's a play that is not performed a lot anymore. Yeah. There's a reason for it. It's it's referring to things that used to be fairly common knowledge politically hmm. and art now. Yeah. And so it it's really hard to translate it to a modern audience just because we don't have the proper reference. Yeah. 
and uh, versus a lot of Shakespeare where you can replace it and suddenly the pl- politics makes sense again. Exactly, or it's even one of those or it's, that it's universal. I mean, Romeo and Juliet yeah. is is a timeless story for a reason. Yeah, seventeen and a thirteen year old. It makes so much sense. It does if you're a republic. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it just comes out sometimes. <laughs> okay, um, <we're> <laughs> but but teenagers being horny—that is a universal. Thing. Oh yeah, like that Absolutely. is something that every teenager and every adult who was a teenager can understand. Mm-hmm. Teenagers be horny. Yep. And they, uh, they, <laughs> and they. <laughs> or Mary Wives of Windsor, and you like the mm-hmm. the whole the politics of the husband-wife relationship. Oh, Those yeah. things are very universal. But yeah. then you get into like, because correct me if I'm wrong. Right. Um, just also clarifying for the audience that Coriolanus is about a military outfit, correct? Yeah, uh, yes, and and a really specific time and a conflict that was happening where a military leader is given the title of emperor, but then you have all these crazy politics involved that I saw a production mm. recently um, at 12th Avenue Arts that was uh, entirely female. And it was amazing Ooh, in that respect. Yeah. I thought I loved the female casting. There were some performances that were just fantastic. There were some decisions made I didn't necessarily agree with, but that's theater. And that's Shakespeare. And, that's, <laughs> and, well, and, and, and I mean, again, it's, it's you know, when you're in the theater, you're an asshole. You can never look at something and not dissect it. Yep, absolutely. Uh, and especially write, as a director. Especially as a director. And I had to write a review <laughs> what? for... Why for did that person <laughs> walk over there? They don't need to be over there. <laughs> but um, they way pared down the script. Which hmm. was smart, actually, yeah. because, uh, again, there's there's a lot of stuff in that that is not going to translate. And and honestly, to a modern audience, I think when you're trying to get people excited about Shakespeare, <sighs> condensing it's not the worst thing in the world. Um, when I when he I was a very with, wordy person. He's a very wordy person. <laughs> the thing is, is that we also really love to pause. Uh huh. And Shakespeare is designed to be done. Like, you should be getting that shit in in two hours. And yep. if you're doing it for four, you're doing something wrong. Yep. Uh, because nobody wants to listen to something for four hours. Yeah. Nobody does. Nope. I'm Especially not when it's like to. Midsummer Night's Dream and no. half of that four hours is over on listing plants. Yeah, I'm like, cool. <laughs> so this list that shit. Cut that. Done. We don't need that. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, it was, I mean, again, when, I, when I'm when i teaching Shakespeare to kids, I work with scripts. I have some 10-minute Shakespeare scripts. I have some 30-minute scripts. Mm-hmm. And you are you are introducing concepts. And yep. unless you are trying to reach an audience that is, is really well-versed in it, there's nothing wrong with trying to make something more accessible. Yeah. And there's arguments about this, but I, I think making any form of art more accessible to people who do not get exposure to it that is not a bad thing. No. There That's why I can't hate too hard on Andrew Lloyd Webber because, because you are... Because earworms. Be, but, yes, but you if, if, if the Phantom of the Opera is reaching a, a child or a teenager or an adult mm-hmm. who would not be getting exposure to the art form yes, otherwise... absolutely. Then, fuck yeah, Phantom of the Opera, that's, bring it on. And I think that's one place where... In my background, where opera is losing ground and why it's dying is because it's so inaccessible. Yep. Unaccessible. God. Hi, I'm good grammar. I enjoy (laughs) opera. Yes, but it is very inaccessible. It's a. It's expensive. It's it's expensive. It's a presentational art. Yeah. Um, and it's yeah, it's (laughs) it's not as exciting to watch, and the music itself 
is extremely theoretical, yeah. especially as you get into more and more modern opera. If you don't understand the music theory to a certain extent, mm -hmm. you'll be lost in the first five minutes. What? I'm sorry, no one listens to a John Adams opera because <laughs> they enjoy it. <laughs> well, and, and again, looking at like uh, some of Mozart's pieces were designed to be correct me if I'm wrong because this is not my specialty but <laughs> so one of his operas where he just these things about butts a lot or farts or there's a bunch of uh, jokes in it yeah I believe there's a I think oh god it's not the magic flute I don't no think, it's not magic it's flute it's either um it's not uh, marriage of figaro I'm, my, I'm sure if my opera advisor heard me <laughs> right now they would be very angry at yelling me yelling at it uh, it might one. be might be it's not abduction from the seraglio there's one that I'm thinking of that I can't put my Is I'm just gonna look up Mozart butts Mozart butts Mozart farts um but his operas are incredibly interesting as well because he invented his own form of opera right um in the Zingspiel the Gesundheit uh which just literally means sing talk so he was the one who created like the musical. Theater. It is, yes. Booyah, so that's why that. when that's you go cool. to the Magic Flute, suddenly the half the show is talking, and you're like, this is an opera. Why are they speaking? Oh, that's cool, though. Um, and it's because he realized that he was losing his audience because mm. they were done hearing the same recitatives over and over and over and over again. So, uh... <laughs> I've always wanted to see Faust perform live because that's when I really enjoy the music, too. Um... And part of that was early readings of the fan of the opera because when I was a kid, I was obsessed with the story yeah. and obsessed with the book, which, P.S., rereading the book as an adult, it is not as compelling. So just want to throw this in here. I didn't find what you were talking about, right. but I had forgotten about this. Um, Mozart was very into scatology or That's right. he yes. was just into scat. He, he was liked, a very... He liked his poo. Very... Um, what's diverse in his sexual tastes. <laughs> um, and he wrote a song entitled <laughs> Leck mich am Arsch, <laughs> which literally means lick my ass. Um, and it was a very popular song. I can imagine. In his time period, because royals at the time were only looking for interesting things. Only in his time period. I mean. I feel like I this mean, could be a new gay anthem. I probably should learn it and perform it at some point. Dude. That would be great. That would be amazing. <laughs> I've now extended uh, this challenge to you. <laughs> Doing it. Um, um, but yeah, he, he, was, he was instrumental in a lot of that. But I, I really want to play you, and I might trim this out. I want to play you just to, since we're on the subject <laughs> of accessibility in the arts. Um, this section from Nixon in China. Um, by John Adams. Mr. Adams, dear Mr. Adams. And it is called... There. First, first thing I s will say is there are some beautiful arias in it. Mm -hmm. um, Madame Mao, her aria is gorgeous. Hmm. Um, but when... I'm trying to find it. Um... The aria is called News News. There it is. Um, and I might stick a clip of it <laughs> in here <laughs> just because I can. But it's... Or you can just look it up on YouTube. News. 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 
In. Yes, please, I will. Sir, I will. Please, please. I'm begging you. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> News Has a Sort of Mystery is the name of the aria. And it's just... You could tell John Adams got way too excited about the theory of minimalism. Yeah, yes. And uh, therefore made it completely inaccessible to anyone other than music nerds. Yeah. And a lot of opera has gone that way. Mm-hmm. And so... A lot of what opera companies have tried to do to bring audiences in is translating things into English, which I don't think is necessarily the right way to go about it. Because it changes. It's uh, it, cha- it changes the musicality. It's why I don't like movies that um, dub versus sub. Yes, uh, I would rather watch a subtitled yeah. movie than a dubbed movie. Yeah, because I get distracted too mm-hmm. by the dubbing, because uh, it's rarely good. Not yep. to the point of the fault of the voice actors. It's just watching someone where the mouths aren't matching up and yeah. things. It, it takes you out of it constantly yeah. where you get used to reading the subtitles. Well, and the thing is, if if an opera is good enough, A, operas always have super titles. Right. Yes. So if you go, they always have what's mm-hmm. being sung in English or sung, written in English above the stage, mm-hmm. projected there. Always. Um, unless you're in Germany and they're doing an opera in German, then they won't. In which case, they're like, fuck you, learn they're, German. This is our language. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you're here, learn it. <laughs> but other than that, I find when I go to an opera that I don't know, and I don't know what they're singing, mm-hmm. I often just stop looking at the, at the super titles, and I'm just watching. Because if the actors are good enough, you'll know exactly what's happening, and you can infer, yes. again, that idea of inference, yeah. what's happening on stage without... Knowing the words. The problem is that it requires a lot of thinking and a lot of focus. Right. And right now in our society, we're not so big on that. And I'm including myself in uh, that. That focus is difficult. <laughs> well, and there's just, I mean, it's, it's everyone who asks me if I've watched The Handmaid's Tale. And I'm like, I read the book when I was younger. I loved it. I, I cannot watch it because it's too fucking depressing. And it's too... I got two episodes in and I was like, I'm I done. Ca- I can't. I can't. It's too, well, yeah. So I just went and saw... This might sound like a weird segue, but bear with me. I just went I'll and take saw it. Uh, the new Purge movie. Ooh, yeah. Which this is... Th- first of all, the rare example of a franchise, any franchise, but uh, horror specifically, horror. Uh, Whores. Horror. God. I, everyone <laughs> else horror. I need to say it's Hara. 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 We're suddenly from Boston. Yeah, well. It's Hara. Uh... Whereas that's not Boston. That's like Long Island. I don't know. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> the movies have gotten better with each one. This does not happen Interesting. in scary movies. The, it, it's gone from a, a film series about um, scared rich white people in their house, hiding out in their house, to uh, this most recent movie. You have minorities rising up. Yeah. And But the thing is, is watching it. Which, P.S., there is a brilliant grab by the pussy moment that the my audience died. There's a <laughs> reference to it, and, like, Good. I lost my shit for it, and it was beautiful. But it's, it can be, like, leaving it, I was, it was a movie I needed to see. Interesting. But it was, it was, it was rough 
Because that, you're, you're, the parallels to what's happening in our yeah. society right now are so dead on. That concept always grabbed me. I oh, liked yeah. the idea yeah. that they came up with in the first the one. First I don't one think I could have watched it. It's but I, I loved either. the concept. Yeah, it's a great concept. Um, it was poorly executed in the first one. Okay. And they gradually, because, and part of it, again, scared rich white people hiding in their home is not particularly compelling. No, it's more of a fun thing to watch. But, it, but it's not <laughs> even fun. Like, that was, it just, it was yeah. something that should have been like a 20-minute short film. Yep. And they tried to stretch it into, I don't know, 80 to 90 minutes, and it, it doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, but as they've, and part of it is that they've gotten more political. They've gotten a lot more about, um, about economic differences, about classes, about minorities. And in this latest one, I mean, they flat out say, you know, we have too many people and we need to cull some of them. And this is a great way to do it. And the ones we Mm -hmm. need to cull are the racist, the racist (laughs) and the poor people. And they, I mean, and the thing is, is you're watching this being like, I get that this is, this is supposed to be somewhat satirical in that we're yeah. not actually going to start killing the poor people, she says, as she reads news stories about immigrants being <coughs> detained and not getting medical care, so they're miscarrying, um, and children yeah. are dying, and... And infants being passed back to their parents after months of not yeah. having been bathed, and... And it's, yep. it's one of those where, um, it's... And it's not as nuanced as something like Get Out. Yep. But it was still a movie where, and the the lead actors were fantastic, and that mm-hmm. was part of what made it really compelling. But you're watching it just being like, we're Shit, here. Man, yeah. In the next decade or two, this starts happening. Sadly, I'm not gonna be that surprised. Yeah. Or the Hunger Games kind of a thing. Yeah. Like it's, uh, yeah, I. And it's. Sad that actually and scary, leads us into a place that I kind of wanted to talk about. Okay. Not necessarily specifically with you, but just in general, I want to get this recorded. Yeah. Um, Because I've been listening to a lot of podcasts lately about what's been going on politically. And while I'm not a political genius, obviously, um, I've been hearing a lot of podcasts that are like, well, no, that we like comparing modern like current events with World War Two is very commonplace right now. Because there are a lot of parallels, Um, especially to those of us who have kind of been steeped in that culture. Being Jewish, I've had a lot of that. It's just kind of at the forefront of your mind all the time. So seeing some of these things, it's just like, why aren't you seeing this, people? Yeah. Um, But I've been several of the podcasts I've listened to lately have mentioned that, no, we don't have concentration camps yet, so we're not there. I'm like, Sorry, why is that no, our bar? no, 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 no. Why Here's is that the thing. Our bar? We don't have concentration Here's camps. Here's the thing. Wow. But we do. And the concentration camps, camps yeah, concentration camps don't have to look like Auschwitz. Yeah. In fact, Auschwitz they was, they didn't. They looked like Dachau was the first one, and it was literally just an internment camp yeah. for people they didn't and, like. And ghettos. And ghettos. Yeah. And the, the shuttles. Being forced and, into. Yep. Um, like my great grandma grew up in a shuttle outside of, outside of Kiev. Um, that was basically just a bunch of cardboard houses just shoved up together because they couldn't afford anything else. Um, and then someone even mentioned that it's never happened in the U S before. And I was like, are you forgetting world war two and the tournament of Japanese Americans in Washington? Washington We have how many former internment camps, like three of them. Yeah. Something like that. Um, and so it's, but I'm sorry again. Why is that our bar? Why is it, that our a, bar? A, it shouldn't be our bar. But no. B, it is happening. <sighs> so, and 
and I, I made a post on Facebook a, a f- about a week ago where I went back just to double check my timeline because I wasn't quite sure and I wanted to make sure I yeah, was yeah, yeah. not just saying things out my ass like I do a lot. Yeah. But so when, when Hitler first became chancellor, mm-hmm. within his first year, Dachau was established. Mm-hmm. Um, within two years... Now I have to look up the, because I'm on four hours of sleep brain. Um, Oh, here it is. So it only took a couple of years for Hitler to change from chancellor to dictator. It took about two, two and a half years for him to change from being an elected official to being all powerful. You mean like saying things like, so we're I'm going to pardon myself if I get impeached? That or calling anyone who is anti-you the resistance um, uh, or having the news sources calling you a dictator. Um, friends in Canada, I will be moving towards you. Yeah, shortly. right. Uh, Dachau was opened in Hitler's first year, but then it took six years for Hitler to invade Poland. Mm-hmm. So there, it was a bunch of turning up the heat very slowly very steadily, taking away the power of the press, taking away certain other things, repealing former laws, Mm -hmm. such as, oh, I don't know, discrimination laws for getting cakes made Mm and Roe v. Wade, which (laughs) losing certain, yeah, certain states that are suddenly repealing the ability for same-sex couples to get married Mm -hmm. and et cetera, turning up the heat. And then six years after he became chancellor, he invaded Poland and the war started. We're, right now, we're at the two and a half year mark. Mm-hmm. So uh, <laughs> just putting that out there. Um, not saying I am not equating people. I'm saying that situations are very similar. Mm-hmm. Now, I understand a point was brought up that I think is worth talking about, mm-hmm. that Germany's economic station when Hitler became chancellor was awful. We are nowhere near there. Yes, we are in a recession, but we're not in a Weimar era. We're not spending millions of dollars for a loaf of bread because the dollars are completely worthless. (laughs) But at the same time, there is a very similar trend and it's similar circumstances. And I think it's something that... It's, it's very easy to say, we'll take them back in the midterms, which, yes, get out there, vote. Yeah. Please vote. Please vote. Please vote. Um, it's too late to register now. But it's also, but. voting isn't enough at this point, because voting only means so much when someone takes over power. Right. <laughs> if someone eventually says, no, your power is useless, right. you can't do anything about it. So now's where especially with midterm elections coming up. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's enough time to be a registered candidate, but you can absolutely start campaigning as a write-in. I had a friend who did that in Florida and got elected. Yeah, or campaign um, with a candidate. Or campaign with a is candidate. A fabulous woman in but New there's, York, too. Yes. Who, yeah, she's um, a great example But there's always, always a city council position open. Yeah. I mean, except maybe in, like, the major cities. Like, I doubt Seattle has one open. I doubt New York or Chicago or San Francisco has one open. But in the suburbs, mm-hmm. I can bet you there's at least one open seat. Probably. You can have that. And you can hold that post. by 18. Mm-hmm. Most of them run unopposed. Mm-hmm. So 
if you really want to take charge, that's something that I'm looking into and something that I'm considering about when I get to New York, even going to a city council meeting, they're boring, they're rough, but go. But go and hear what they're talking about. Be informed. I guess you can look up their agendas online. All city governments are required to post that online. You can see what they're talking about. And if they're talking about something you know about or have an opinion on, go. Yeah. Um, because not a lot of people go. Even just calling, uh, calling, calling your representatives, call calling senators. Mm-hmm. Put pressure on them for things. Yes. Um, anyway. Come into your restaurant. <laughs> kick them out. This was your, yes. God. <laughs> that was just a quick PSA. But, I mean, it's, it's worth saying and saying again. Yeah. Voting is good. Voting is necessary. But it's yes. not enough. When... It's the same as being a keyboard warrior. You can only do so much, especially on the national level yeah. as people exactly. in a republic. We can't do everything. Well, and it's, I mean, I'm not somebody, I don't typically post a lot about politics on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twitter, I might, I'll share things every so often. But I, I, part of the reason why is for the vast majority of my Facebook followers, it's preaching the converted. And all it does yep. is make me pissed off. It makes them pissed off. And it's white noise. Yeah. And it's it's. I think there is a danger to thinking that I'm sharing this news article, I'm posting an angry rant, I'm doing this thing, and so I'm being active. You're not. No. You're really not. Nobody cares. You're venting into the void. You're venting into the void. And the people reading it are also like, yeah, I agree with you. Or they're like, fuck you, I'm a troll, or I'm going to yeah. block, or I'm going to do this. And they're not going to be swayed. And so... It's. I think it is dangerous to get this feeling of accomplishment from, well, I've done my Twitter post for the day, and so uh-huh. I have made a difference. No, you haven't. And you know deep down you haven't. Yeah. Uh, it's not enough. And I will say the thing that makes me want to punch people in the face, well, there's a lot of things that make me want to punch people in the face. I hate oh, yeah. people. But um, I, uh, the people that say, well, there's no point to voting because the electoral electoral college or because of this or because of this and i'm like but see that's just that's the attitude i will that i have said that and i kind of continue to say that but that's also just one level of government it's one level of government local it, government you have yes. so much power and the thing is is that at the end of the day our voter turnout rate is appalling and i don't care if you don't think it's going to matter if you are going to have an opinion on it you fucking need to participate and that's yep. my psa yeah. If you don't vote at any level, then you cannot talk about it. Yeah. Because fuck you. You're part of the problem. <laughs> well, and... I feel sorry about this. No, that's sorry. good. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, no, here, the other thing, and this will be my last comment on this, and then we'll move on to something more lighthearted and exciting. Go sticks! Yay! Um, is a lot of people don't realize that you can run for state legislatures at mm. 18. President's 35. That's still real super young. I can't see my jack-off motion that I'm yeah. making right now. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, but you can be a legislator at 18. Yeah. I know there's one in Montana who's 18. Um, I'm looking. I just did a cursory search. Huffington Post did a... Uh, they went out and looked for the youngest legislators, and there are 13 18 to 23-year-olds in state legislatures right now. I thought you were stopping on the 13. I was like, wait, that seems a little young. No, no, no. Hormones. There are 13 what? 18 to 23-year-olds. Nice. But... There are only 13, and there are 50 states. The the things that are being enacted in our local, state, and national governments right now won't truly fully affect us for probably five to ten years. Yeah. 
So the the article also said the average age of it, of the legislature is 56. So that means that by the time the decisions they're making right now occur, they'll be 66 retired and living a cushy life out in the Hamptons mm-hmm. while the rest of us are still struggling versus having our youth out there yeah. who I'm sorry, age is not an indicator of maturity. No. Having our youth in the legislatures, those 18-year-olds are making decisions that will still affect them when the full effect of it occurs. So they're more interested in things that are actually going to help. That was a rough way to say that, but I hope you you can understand what I'm trying to say. Yeah, like between... Uh, baby boomers, like, I'm sorry. And my parents are baby boomers. Yep, and again, same. My, my parents are very open-minded people. They're not part of the problem. But a lot of baby boomers are really stuck in this idea of, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I don't know why I had to use that voice. Yeah. Voice, but, uh, but I did this. I went to school, and I worked part-time, and I could pay for my college, and I don't have debts, and I don't have this, so why can't you do it? Not understanding that literally... Things are so different. Yeah. It is not possible to well, do the things they did with the yeah. way our economy is, with the way inflation is not compensated. Yeah. Like, it's. Well, and they grew up with the baby boomers in general, grew up with the, uh, the post war mentality mm-hmm. of anything's now possible. Yes. When my generation, which is even the generation after yours, grew up with the idea of nothing's possible. Yeah. We just got to survive. Yeah. <laughs> like when I was going to college, when I was 18 and starting college, mm-hmm. the main thought, if I pulled people around me, the main thought was, why are you going to college? It's useless. Yeah. And I was, again, being a little bit of an earlier generation than you. In fact, I am happy to say I finally stopped being grouped in with millennials because Yay. I'm sorry, people in the early 80s are not millennials. No, you're generation X. No, we're, Why? A, we're a micro generation. I keep cool. they've changed the name like fifty times. We're the Oregon uh, Oregon Trail generation is what I like to Ooh, call that's us. Fun. Yes, we're the Oregon Trail generation. Um, but uh, we grew up uh, primarily. We were '90s kids, mm-hmm. and um, it was a really weird time in that we didn't have quite the nothing is possible of yours. We were getting the go to college, do this, do this, get the debt, yeah. get the debt. But we were starting to see some of the technology changes. We were yeah. starting to see some of these things where we became a different kind of lost generation. Yeah. Where we were really holding to these beliefs of, no, my parents, at like being somebody of a certain age now, <coughs> somewhere in my 30s, I'm not sure where, <laughs> uh, that there is an idea that, I should have a house, I should have kids, I should have a husband, I should have X, Y, Z, and and the traditional things should still apply to me. And yet, most of my friends, not all, but a lot of them are just now having their first child. Yeah. Because this is the first time they can afford it. And a good chunk of them still don't own their own home. Or oh, yeah. Or own a condo or own anything because they can't afford it. Yeah. And I mean, most of my friends work two full-time jobs i mean as a drag queen i work a full-time job Mm -hmm. during the day and then i work almost Mm -hmm. a full-time job in nightlife as well on top of that and i still am just barely comfortable living in a studio apartment (laughs) i work
work more jobs than I ever have at the moment. Part of that is the, the nature of the work, but I, yeah. I, it's funny because even some of my older relatives want to make plans and they do not understand that like, I need to make plans in advance because yeah. sometimes because you get holes in your schedule unexpectedly, but otherwise, I fill up my schedule with work. Yep. If if I usually can be, three to four months ahead of time. Oh yeah, like I'm right now. I've got stuff scheduled through next May. Yeah. And it's that's the nature of it. And when days pop up that are free, I'm like, cool. Can I do a tour? Can I sub? Can yep. I take a private student? Can I do like? Because I have to. Because yeah. I also am paying for my own health insurance and, and yeah. paying for things that are not givens mm-hmm. and still barely scraping by. Uh, and I have two degrees. Yep. Same. But I'm also, I look at it and I'm doing things I, I like to do. Could I take a job at Amazon or Microsoft or one of the big places in the area and not have some of my worries? Yes. But but you would absolutely hate everything would, about your life. I would life. not yeah. be satisfied with these. Well, I mean, life. working my day job, I work retail. I yeah. work a full forty-hour work week mm-hmm. at fifteen dollars an hour because that's minimum wage in right? in Seattle, and I I'm still that's I'm breaking even. Yeah. So like, <laughs> it's not it's not a given anymore. No. Um, we're actually going to take I think a short break here. And then we're going to talk about some fun stuff. I can check the World Cup score. You can. So Yay! we're going to do that. And I'm going to refill my coffee and stuff. And we'll be right back. back. Play to me. But it's because it's just a, a study in psyche. Yeah. One, uh, I will say something that does frustrate me a little bit with my older students now. Um, and some of this. Uh, I reference. Tennessee Williams. I reference Eugene mm-hmm. O'Neill. I reference Arthur Miller. Mm-hmm. And they don't know who they uh. are. And in high school, I I didn't know every single playwright, far be it. But yeah. I knew who Tennessee Williams was because in class, we read A Streetcar Named Desire. I knew who Arthur Miller was because we read The Crucible and we read Death of mm-hmm. Salesman. Uh, well, and I hadn't even necessarily read all of those until college or even was aware of the full storylines, but I at least knew who those people that. were. And I knew... They're important historically. Not just if you are into drama, but again, The Crucible is, is so important. An important play. Any, anything by Tennessee Williams is an important play, but that's also coming from a queer perspective of well, yes. <laughs> queer artists. We need him in our. But, but looking at it from just a literature perspective, like mm-hmm. I read, God, I read Oedipus like every year from like <laughs> junior high through high school. Because what does that say about like, you? <laughs> no, it was all of my literature teachers that were like, we need to read Oedipus, and we were like, again, <laughs> and because they kept moving off when they were going to do it. But mm. I was this weird area where every single uh, one year it was Antigone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just a little up. switch up. No, yeah, it was nice. I enjoyed it. But, I think the uh, only play I read in high school that I wasn't in, other than Shakespeare, because yeah. I used to sit in my room, I had a complete works of Shakespeare, and I'd read yeah. it out loud to myself. Yeah. Because I'm a nerd. Yeah. Um, the only play that I read that I wasn't in was Eurydice. Oh, interesting. Which was an odd play to yeah. read because it's a very visual play. It is. Um, and like I had some visual. But yeah, I didn't. I wasn't a theater kid in in school. I was a musical theater kid. Well, but see, what's funny is that in class, I read I read Oedipus and Antigone in class. We read 
uh, The Crucible in class. We read Inherit the Wind in class. I take that back. First play I ever read was uh, Raisin in the Sun. Raisin in the Sun we read And it's because I found it at the library, and it's like, what is this? This looks interesting. And on the back it mentioned uh, Felicia Rashad. Rashad, And I was like, I know her. I know the Cosby show. And, (laughs) I mean... Yeah, no, I know. At the time, what, whatever, no, whatever yeah. you think of her as a person now, she's an important person in theater oh, yeah. and in. And, anyway, and I saw her name and it was a recognized actress. name, and it was in a. I think it was a summer reading section okay. at the library, so I grabbed it up. I was like, "We'll read this," and I finished it. And I was just like, "What did I just read?" But it, it's <laughs> it's so good, but these were all things I read as part of the curriculum. Yeah. in my school, and. I don't know if, if students are reading drama the way we d- I remember being in ninth grade, I want to say, and reading Inherit the Wind. Yeah. And we'd act it out in class, and it was mm. fabulous. Because that's, again, it's a really interesting play, and it's about an interesting period of time. Yeah. Um, but we read so much drama. I don't know if students are, but one of the reasons why I find those important is that you are looking at living history as opposed to reading it and not I mean reading in a book it's different yeah. whereas when you're reading in a play you get to put see that on was the feet. thing was I didn't necessarily I didn't get a lot of theater growing up right. but we got a lot of literature right because my parents both my my mom was a special education teacher mm-hmm. and a philosophy major in college okay and then my dad was a history and um, political science major, and then he's now a, a judge, and he was a lawyer for a while, but because you have to be to be a judge, right? So there was a lot of emphasis on literature in our household. So right. what we would do is every day during lunch, my mom would read us some like teen literature or like Little House on the Prairie right. or um, things in that more along our age range right. that we could very easily relate to, and it was there. And then at night before bed, our dad would read us a chapter from some like really heavy novel. Yeah. But they did it out loud so that we could sit there and we could draw what we were reading and we could like move around the room and listen to it and hear it and take it in, even if we weren't fully aware of what it was. Right. Like, I think by the time I was in in elementary school, I'd already heard Moby Dick and I'd heard Tale of Two Cities and I'd heard The Hobbit and all right. of these books that I wouldn't have been able to read on my own. But because I heard it, it was just, it was it there was and I understood it. To this day, do I know the whole plot of Tale of Two Cities? No, but I understand the main it was themes. The best of times, <laughs> it was the worst of times. Literally, the only thing I like can pull to mind of like an image from the book I remember is from the beginning mm-hmm. where he talks about the women sitting at the foot of the guillotine mm-hmm. knitting with the hair. Yeah. And I'm like, I'll be one of those people when we start doing that here in a few years. (laughs) Um, Anyway, we're back for the break. (laughs) 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 Uh, It's just been a few minutes. It's okay. Uh, (laughs) We just talk a lot. Us? What? What? And I say used to like I still don't. I used Uh to read the trashiest of trashy romance novels when I was an early teenager uh, I just like the covers. I've never actually read one. No, well, so this is the thing. Because <laughs> I, I, I was probably like 12 or 13 when I started reading these. Mm-hmm. And my parents were fairly liberal with what we were reading. I was reading Stephen King when I was like eight. And they were like, eh, she's reading. Um, this, that had no yep. effect on I read how Misery I in high school. My parents were like, you, what? You know the F word now? I'm like, I don't care. It's been said so many times in this book. It's part of my vocabulary. This is all <laughs> meaning. But no, I used to read the trashiest of trashy romance novels because my friend... Uh, 
a friend of mine got me into them because we liked the, the romance stories yeah. and the the ones that for teenagers, especially at that age, there wasn't the young adult like the young adult renaissance of literature had mm -hmm. not happened yet. I mean, we had like The Giver, we had ones, but for for I love The Giver. I love The Giver. I read that uh, as often as I can. But there were. Um, there wasn't, like, if you were a, a kid who was interested in romance stories, it was a lot of these, like, kind of Christian-based ones. Uh-huh. Which I read, but they... Like, uh, oh, shoot. Um, was it Caddy Woodlawn? Was yeah, she one of them? Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. And, like, and Christy. And, mm -hmm. like, My sister had all of those. Where it's a lot of, like, they, they're lingering looks and occasionally hands brushing each other. Yep. Uh, and so my friend got me into... I just read the Hardy Boys and assumed they weren't actually brothers. Oh, I doubt they were. <laughs> At least not those kind of brothers. Uh-uh. Uh, but I, I got into trashy romance novels because they had more adult romances. And I mean, yes, they had the sex mm -hmm. scenes, which whatever. But yeah. um, I would get embarrassed about having them at school because the covers were so trashy. So I used to cut out in fabric uh, little outfits to cover them <laughs> up more. And so I'd glue like shirts onto the boys. And oh, the my God. And redo their dresses so they had higher necklines. And uh and I'd be sitting in class during, like, free reading, reading these with my glued-on clothes, and the teachers thought it was the funniest thing <laughs> they'd ever seen in their life, to the point where they never questioned that I was reading it because yeah. I glued clothing onto the covers. Because you, you obviously were self-aware enough to be like, I know, I know what's going on here. I know what's going on here, and I'm embarrassed by it, but – and this was before – because I'm old. This was before you could just read Fifty Shades of Grey on a Kindle. Yeah. And so nobody could know your shame. Yep. I think the first sex scene I read mm -hmm. um, was in high school when I read uh, Wicked. Oh, oh. And those <laughs> those sex scenes are intense. They are a very specific kind of sex scene, <laughs> they're, too. Well, it's not that they're a specific kind, but they're just a very specific. Yes. Like, he does not shy away from no. describing anything. There's no, like, quivering manhood. It's Oh, like... no, it's... And his <laughs> dick is inside. Yeah. And then he inserted his... Yeah. But things like... the. The moments I realized I was gay in my life were when I was reading those sex scenes because, A, Gregory Maguire is gay. Right. So Which, I mean, he describes his it, male characters yeah. very speci even more it specifically than the, the sex scenes. It does. Yeah. And you, like, things like uh, I the first one is between Melina and um, Elphaba's father. Yes. And there's he mentions his big hands <laughs> and that just stuck in my head and I read it over and over and over again and it was just like there's just something about the way he wrote that into the oh. scene it was just so sensual and like even the ugh. constant like allusions to Elphaba possibly being or having uh having a penis having or a not penis. yeah like and and because I remember one of the scenes between I think it was her and, but that and it wasn't, Kiro. he never mentioned it in any kind of a judging way. It was no. just kind of like a, they never quite yeah, like knew. She was somewhere shadow, in between. It like there was, was there? Yeah. And I always found that really, and I, I read that a little loved later. That. I think the first sex scene I remember reading in a book was actually, because I, I read horror novels. Mm. And so Stephen King writes sex scenes, not super, yeah. super graphic ones, but there were sex scenes. And I remember reading this this horror novel and it was about like summoning the I don't know the devil came to it I don't even yeah the devil came to a town there was all these freaky things but it had some really intense sex scenes in them and I was probably like nine when I yeah. was reading this and not but see that's why I think it's not a bad thing necessarily in the right settings yeah 
for children to be exposed to that because it's just sex. It's just sex. Not saying that they're having sex, no. but for them to see that it's natural to and normal and it's and it's there. It's a thing. It's a human experience. It's a human experience. That they shouldn't be scared of when the right time happens. Was eventually <laughs> with my kids when they're 30 and alive and exist. Well, I remember, <laughs> and I, I mean, again, if my parents are listening to this, mom and dad, I love you. But um, <laughs> I remember being in high school and, and having to send home a permission slip because they're going to be giving a condom demonstration. And my mom wouldn't give me permission. My, again, my very liberal parents for the most part. But when mm-hmm. it came to talking about sex things, they were weird about it. So I learned I it on the streets or on Stephen King novels. I don't understand... <laughs> But there was this. I don't understand that. Uh, I mean, it, it was, it was, it's nervousness. It's, it's the same reason that it, it's, it's being scared. And part of it is being scared of what you don't know and thinking that by exposing your child to the existence of something, which, P.S., at age 15, especially. Um, they I'm sorry, I started discovering all of that stuff in myself at age eight. So. I'm, it's not. I'm gonna not it, comment for myself, but I, I'm just. I'm just saying that it's not like there, a. But, uh, it's not a no. later in life thing that you fig- figure out. Oh, this is good it's, for something. It's not uncommon. You for, just know it from the beginning. It's part two, of your three, body. Four-year-olds. I mean, again, they. Four, did I just say four-year-old? Four. Yeah. Four-year-olds. <laughs> words are hard. Um, to to be exploring because it's your body. It's what yeah. you do. Yeah. Well, and, and it's not. It's not that we're sexualizing children, and it's not that we're. That we're saying that children should be sexualized because no, no, we're no, not. No, no. We're saying that humans are human yeah. from the time they're born. Yeah. And everything that involves your body consensually mm-hmm. is natural. There's a passage in, I think it's Kramer versus Kramer. And there's this whole passage with the dad and the son and the son talking. Again, the son who is fairly young in that. I don't know if he's like five or six or something. Mm-hmm. But he's talking about the fact that his wiener stands up like a fish. And I don't remember why that stuck <laughs> with me because he's like, look, it stands up like a fish. Yeah. But that's what little kids do. It's like, what is this thing? What does it do? What happens? Yeah. It? Like, and that is, that's normal. Yeah, it's normal to, to figure those things out. Yes. There's a reason why kids play doctor too. You're yeah, you're interested in how your body works. Mm-hmm. The human body is super exciting and yes. fascinating. It's and weird. When it's, and when it's yours, yeah, <laughs> it's uh, so. I I think that um, well, and you look at the attitude in America versus the attitude in other in other countries. Yeah. where what's censored on TV in the UK? It's not breasts. It's and violence. Butts, it's violence. Yeah. What is more damaging to a child to know that women have breasts? Which P.S. Spoiler alert. Women have breasts. What? Oh, shit. I know. I know this might be a surprise. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, women have breasts. Um, I thought that was just a drag queen thing. No. And they're <laughs> awesome. They are awesome. But, uh, they are powerful. They are powerful. <laughs> In some cases, they give you back pain and headaches. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's, what is more damaging to a young child? To know that women have body parts and that men have butts and women have butts and boobs. And that sex happens. Yeah. Or... To see somebody, I, I I look at Criminal Minds. Yeah, which is such a see somebody with their guts on the ground, like splayed out, and dead. mostly women. Yeah, mostly women. Violence being perpetuated against women, people being disassembled, and I say this yeah. again as a fan of the horror genre. Mm-hmm. And and yet and yet, um. I grew up watching bad monster movies and mm-hmm. a lot of edited for television horror films, yeah. which means I didn't. I saw the afterwards, yeah. or or you look at some of those early '80s slashers, and they're actually not that brutal. Yeah. Or, or the violence in them is so cartoony that was part of the fun. But I think also that 
that has created its own set of problems. Like in listening to my favorite murder, Karen and Georgia talk about that a lot of how they grew up reading Helter Skelter and oh, reading yeah. um, the all of that kind of stuff. And but but there's never any answers given. It's just a lot of questions and a lot of things just presented. And I think that's what's created all of these true crime enthusiasts now like yeah they've always been around but right now there's such a culture for it and i think it's because there's so many of us that are just like we want to know what's going on again but going back to the human body thing of understanding our brains and understanding that whole phenomenon i would argue respectively that it is not a new phenomenon um it is something that looking back to jack the ripper being one of the it's first true. super sensational ones. And one of the reasons why I look specifically back to that point is because that were, was when, for the first time, journalism yeah, was true. coming forth as as uh, in, in the form that we're looking at uh, now mm-hmm. and in this way of reporting sensational things. And people fucking ate it up. Yeah. They wanted more. They wanted more details. They wanted sensationalization. You look at all these court cases through the years. Again, uh, Evelyn Nesbitt being another yeah. good example of a court case that got hugely sensationalized when her uh, husband shot her lover and it was the crime of the century. Yeah, I've yeah. seen Ragtime too many times. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's the crime of the century. No, it's just me. No. Okay, that's cool. Uh, but... Um, <laughs> The, the the Lindbergh baby, the, yep. the Amelia Earhart. <gasps> the Lindbergh baby is such an interesting one. It's so because of some of the new information that they're starting to find mm-hmm. that they think it was really just him that offed his own child. They, that, that's been a theory for a while. Yeah. But like these are all cases and true crime cases for the yep. most part that have, ha- I mean, but I think it raptured the country. Yeah, I think it. But I think it does ultimately tie back to that exploring humanity and exploring yeah. ourselves and trying to understand ourselves and better by ex- yeah i think now we have the internet oh it's so accessible it's so accessible you can wikipedia anything whether or not you should and oh but it's fun but it, it's it's not that our our interest has grown it's that now we have access to things we did not used to yes and I think that's where you're seeing. And again, your generation, my generation, was a generation growing up for where we had a lot more access to information. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I like. I want to know. I want to know the mm-hmm. answer to mysteries. And I don't think that's a new thing. We I love just puzzles. We love we mysteries. Puzzles. The human brain loves figuring itself out. Yes, and wants answers. Yes. And when we don't know the answer to something, it bothers us. Because mm-hmm. I know that's how I am. Yep. I don't like not knowing the answer to something. All, it's, a, it's a basic human instinct to be curious. Yes. And I, that's what I fear we're losing a little bit with some people. Uh, because information is so accessible. Yes, that the people aren't. The drive to find the information it's isn't too there. too easy. Yeah. You figure I can always look it up. And when I was younger, and to an extent when you were younger, because, I mean, the internet was not yeah. quite as, as massive as it is now. But yeah. when I was younger, uh, I still had to reference things in books. Oh, I, I had to all the way through grad school. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Encyclopedia Britannica. But also one of the things that... I loved in grad school versus undergrad, which I don't say grad school in any kind of like a, I have a graduate degree right. because honestly it was easier than my undergrad, <laughs> a lot less work and a lot more enjoyable because <laughs> it was something I cared about. Yeah. Um, but what I liked about it was it was less about tests and memorization and right. stuff and more about learning research techniques yes. 
and learning how and where to find things, Mm -hmm. which is what that whole research thing is, is we all have that idea of, oh, I can find it at any time, but we don't know how to, so we never will. Or we just go on Wikipedia. And we're too lazy to find it. Which is, you know, always accurate. I mean, it's... (laughs) So that was actually the best research technique I was ever taught, and I will... I always use it, is Wikipedia is not a good source... But it's a good starting point. So if you go to Wikipedia, you scroll all the way to the bottom, find the sources cited, and start scrolling through those, and those lead you to other things. It's a great treat. And it's fine for, again, if I just need a quick answer to something, yeah, sure, go to Wikipedia. I have nothing against Wikipedia. I've gone down a lot of Wikipedia rabbit holes in my life. Have you ever played Wikipedia Wars? No. Oh, that was a big thing with me and my nerdy friends in college. So what you do is you have two people with their laptops in front of them facing each other. And the group around them, it's <laughs> how nerdy we <laughs> were, that there was a group of people around them. You, uh, They would all pick a starting page. Mm-hmm. So, like, start at Scarlett Johansson jumped to mind because she's been all over the news right now. Start, start at Scarlett Johansson. And then they would all consp- like talk to each other and figure out some completely random second subject. Mm-hmm. And you had to find your way from that first page like say clouds or like mm-hmm. Nimbus clouds specifically. So like you had to find your way from Scarlett Johansson to Nimbus clouds. Like in a six degrees of Kevin Bacon kind of way? Or kind, just yeah. So within <laughs> the article on Wikipedia, you could only use links within the articles. So you're trying to make your way And you there. had to do it the fa- faster than the other person. It's That's fascinating. so much fun. But it's, it's a great exercise in terms of going back to what we said and we're talking about a couple of times before the break of inference and like your brain having to think three steps ahead of Mm -hmm. if I click on this, what direction is that going to take me? Chess. In a weird way. (laughs) Chess. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a a similar kind of strategy. Thinking thinking. ahead because you have to know where this is going to end up. Yeah, it's a good critical thinking exercise. Yeah. But that's how nerdy we were that we're that in our, like, fun. weekends. We were just like, let's do a Wikipedia Awards. That sounds super fun. Um, <laughs> so we're going <laughs> to we're gonna switch gears a little bit here. <laughs> because before we started, I was like, we should talk about ghost hunting and, right. and paranormal <laughs> investigating. And we have not yet. No, we have. I, I think I said ghost things once. Yes. Uh, but I actually do want to talk about it. Because now that you've been on a few times, I don't think we've ever actually, like, full on talked about like so being a paranormal investigator and like talked about some of our experiences and things like that i'm not a paranormal investigator i consider myself a baby psychic <laughs> baby medium um more of a medium than a psychic i don't read people as easily right. i read dead people more easily. Fair. <laughs> reading the spirits versus reading the, the living because the, the living just annoy me yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> um so i thought I we would switch like gears and talk about that a little bit because We've hit n- on your horror horror <laughs> background, your your horror background, your hor- oh, well, I got one of those um, too, and your theater background and all that kind of stuff. But you are an actual paranormal investigator. I am. What does that I mean? That as there's a ghost as I p- specifically thing. turned on Ghost Hunters oh. International on behind us just so we could laugh at it occasionally, which we haven't because I looked at it and I'm just like, oh my god, you're stupid. I know it's, it's, it stops <laughs> even being funny to me. It just annoys me, and I uh-huh. want to punch them. Uh, although to be fair, ghost hunters started off 
legitimate? Uh, mostly, I mean, I, if I had to point to, of all the paranormal shows, the first few seasons of Ghost Hunters, they Interesting. are... Interesting. Because this was also one of the... It wasn't the first, but it was probably by far the most commercially successful in the Well, beginning. they probably also had enough of a budget at the beginning to do enough investigations to find something interesting to put on TV. Not so much. It was really? just novel. Interesting. It wasn't until it got more popular that got the it. pressure to make it got interesting it. became an issue. See, that's why I like BuzzFeed Unsolved when they do their mm. paranormal ones, mm-hmm. which I don't know if you've seen it. I've seen some but of them, yeah. because it's on YouTube, it doesn't right. have to be super high budget. Yeah. And BuzzFeed has a big enough budget that they can just kind of yeah. throw money at it and let it, and them have fun. And so most of the investigations, they don't find anything. No. And they're completely honest about it. They're like, we set up this camera. Nothing, nothing happened. happened. This is the footage. Nothing happened. Nothing we happened. did this. Nothing happened. In the most recent one they did, they did have an occurrence that was really kind of weird. And they showed it and they talked through the different possibilities of what it could have been. Oh, that's cool. But that's what I like about that one is it's like, we're going to be logical about yeah. this, but still be kind of like, one of them is really woo about it and one of them is super logical. So you get that really good interplay. Anyway, I'm totally talking <laughs> over you. Tell us, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> I get excited. It's okay. So it's a good thing to get excited about. Is it like a license you have to have? Is the is <laughs> it like certain training that you had to get to become a paranormal investigator? I mean, you can get certified. Okay. Um, uh, through like online courses and stuff. Uh, but there is no um. You, there is no like as of now. I, I can't mean, it's a suit. It's not even. A, is it, it's not even a pseudoscience at this point, is it? No. I mean, you can't even. Uh, I'm sure there there are universities that have uh, cl- like individual classes in the paranormal, um, it, it's like theories of the paranormal. Theories of the paranormal. There's actually some psychology classes that look at it. Uh, oh, cool! Now that would be fascinating. Well, it's funny. It's up there with cryptozoology, which is mm-hmm. something else that I'm very interested in. Yeah, I've got good here. But <laughs> there are no. If you are a cryptozoologist, there is no degree you can get in cryptozoology specifically. You probably yeah. have a degree in like zoology or some other. Which would be smart because then you'd be able to rule out all of the logical, exactly reasonable answers to things before you start. But anyone who is a cryptozoologist does not have a degree in it because those do not exist. And to be fair, more recently you are seeing uh, an expansion on that again. You can take classes now as Mm -hmm. part of a program, and it is possible. I'm going to have that one asshole who Googles it and is like, actually, well, actually, at the University of blah, 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 you can now get a degree Uh, in this. Whatever. Fuck off. It is not not something that is a typical degree to get. And last I checked, which to be fair was a while ago, you could not get a degree in it. Um, because it's most of it is most of its theories. Most of it is still stuff that we're still figuring out. And a lot of it is, is stuff that we're slowly starting to learn about the universe itself and learning about how energy works and stuff like that, that we're starting to be able to back up certain things and certain things are becoming less clear. Well, and it's not always just looked on as a legitimate science either, which is funny to me because the vast majority of paranormal investigators I work with are among the most skeptical people. Yes, as they should be. You have to be. Uh, I'd say, you know, when I go in to investigate something, I I hate to say it, but most of the time it... You're just dis- what you discover is you have a rat problem. You have <laughs> God, one time a raccoon problem. Yay. They thought they had demons, they had raccoons. Yep. Uh, I mean, same difference. Same difference. Raccoons are cuter. All the demons I've evil. ever met are really not that attractive. Sorry, no. Guys. 
<laughs> <You're> not. <laughs> but uh, uh, old pipes, old homes, mm-hmm. uh, poorly insulated places where you're getting cold spots. Yeah. Uh, there's there is nine times out of ten, it's similar to orb photography. Uh, there's oh a God. running joke in the paranormal community that the best way to prevent orbs is a can of pledge. <laughs> Because most of the time, uh, for those of you who don't know, um, orb photography, orb photographs are paranormal photographs. If you've seen pictures where, and it usually looks like an orb, yep. you have like a ball of light or something in your photo, it, it is... People are like, oh, it's a spirit. No, it's not. I mean... It's it's maybe light reflecting off of something. It's usually <laughs> light reflecting uh, bugs, too. Uh-huh. There's a great video. I don't know if I've talked about this before. There's this great video. My... Uh, the head of my group my boss too at spooked he likes to post spooked in seattle in in pioneer square shameless plug he likes to post videos to our facebook group of um orbs or you know oh look at this weird shadow and and what do you guys think dissect Mm -hmm. it you know as as like little brain exercises yeah totally and he posted this one uh that was to be fair someone was taking video of like cctv footage of a bank and the caption for it was something like, a demon caught on camera. And you could see... I love those. I love those. This shadow just darting around. You know, if, if you can, look up this video, because it, it, it's kind of hysterical when you know what it actually was. And he's like, what do you guys think? And we're all looking at it just being like, um, that's a spider in the lens. There's a spider in the lens of the camera. And when you really look at it, you could actually see, like, yep, there's the spider's leg. <laughs> But it looked, it appeared yeah. as this dark shape. And because it was in the lens of the camera, it appeared as though it was in the bank. Yep, because it was very, very close to it. You, very, it couldn't focus. Close. Yeah, Exactly. Uh, but there were little quick moments where you could see yep. that it was an insect and more specifically a spider. Yeah. But this is what happens. Is is And people get excited, which is delightful i love it when somebody comes up to me on a tour to show me a picture they caught like look at this picture do you think it's a ghost and it breaks my heart to have to say no do you see how the your flash was on and the flash reflected right here off that piece of glass or that piece of metal and it's why on investigations you never take one picture yep if i'm taking pictures i stand there i take six pictures and you try to have multiple recording devices going at once so you get multiple options and and technology gets more sophisticated we're also able to be more sophisticated in how we set things up Mm -hmm. uh and even just things like we can do a setup where it'll only take a picture take video if there is a change in temperature a change in Mm -hmm. sound a change in light so rather than having to because this is the thing okay coming closer folks i'm gonna let you in a little secret (laughs) um investigating Mm -hmm. unlike what you see on most paranormal shows that is not where you typically see things happen yeah. On the investigations themselves. They do. It's not to say they don't. It's not to say I've never had anything happen because I have. And mm-hmm. it's weird and crazy <laughs> and delightful. But usually investigations involve gathering a shit ton of data and video and pictures and audio recordings and then going through them. So if you take 12 hours of video footage, you have to sit there and watch 12 12 hours hours of of video video footage footage. and listen to 12 hours of audio and go through every single picture. It's like editing a podcast. It it is, (laughs) except 
You, oh, you can't even remember where, like, oh, remember when we took a break? Remember when yep. and what was leading up to it or how I clearly say we're taking a yeah. break? You're just staring at it. Yep. And then someone else has to stare at it because people miss things. Yep. And listen to it. And then you have to listen to things on headphones because... You have to listen for the And then you change the frequency and listen to it all again. Exactly. And, and send it through different kinds of software to uh-huh. listen to it. And it's it is not a glamorous thing. Uh-uh. And it is not something where um you have to be really dedicated to, to going through everything you've gathered. Yep. Uh and you might you might get one weird thing or one weird reading. And again, there's a few locations that I can depend on to get something weird. Absolutely. Walker Ames house. The Crescent Lounge. <laughs> okay, there you go. But I've, I've, I have never been to the Walker Ames house and not either had something Where weird is that? happen in Port Gamble, Washington. Ooh. I, if you have never been, I have never before been. Before you leave, can go? we go? I would love to go. Let's go. We'll figure that out. We'll figure that out. Because we'll I still have a couple, couple weeks left. We will. We will do this. The Walker Ames house is one of my favorite places. Uh, Port Gamble, Washington, if, if you've never been, it's a delightful little place. It is an old, old city. The whole city itself is essentially haunted. It Where is, is it? It is incredibly active. It's near uh, Port Townsend. Oh, okay. Um, nice. I wrote uh, I wrote an article about the Walker Ames House for Belladonna Ooh. Magazine. So you can look at that issue and read my beautiful article. I don't remember what issue it was because, I don't know, there's a lot of them. Um <laughs> But uh, it is a great city. Mm-hmm. But the Walker Ames house is a place that uh, I can always depend on something strange. Have you ever done? And this is going to be something. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna say a term. Right. Y'all just get to look it up because we're not gonna go into <laughs> it right now. Have you ever done any looking into the ley lines and seeing if there's like a, a like a crossing right there? There are. Aha! Uh-huh. See. And it's actually it's funny the. Um, it's like right Washington. Smack where the Washington in general is. has a lot of ley lines that Holy cross through shit, it. Holy shit, they do. And which is weird because a lot of there are places in the U.S. where there's just nothing. No. And then like Seattle area is like 500 of them. Well, and it's <laughs> one of the reasons why we look at uh, why do for for as young. I, I okay, this is sort of saying it's young is 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 not uh, fully respecting Relative. its history. In terms of of white people settling, yes, <laughs> we are a very very young state. We were yes. Seattle itself, eighteen ninety, as uh, a state. As a state, Seattle was settled uh, eighteen fifty one initially with the Denny Party. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> not the Donner Party no. like my mom. But you were thinking about that. Too. I have to. Okay, so sorry. Side note: uh, the other day, my brother gave my mom a book on the Donner Party. Which, which is a super fun story. Look it up. Which is a fantastic story. Unless you're was, easily creeped out and then don't. Or even if you are, it's worth it. Just from a historical standpoint. <laughs> yeah, historical standpoint, it's important. Let's just say that sometimes you set out to try to find a state and things end in cannibalism. As they should. As they should. Uh, but my mom <laughs> thought that it was a book on the Denny Party, which is the founding of Seattle, where there was no cannibalism. Nope. Very different things. It went downhill from there. Uh, (laughs) But it was hysterical. (laughs) Um, Anyway, I don't know why I got sidetracked. Oh, yeah, Denny Party. So Seattle was founded 1851. Um, We are a uh, relatively young state in terms of white people. Mm -hmm. We are not a young area in terms of indigenous people. Correct. Uh, But... The state of Washington and the city of Seattle have always had uh, 
an almost abnormal amount of activity, mm-hmm. given how young we are as a white people settlement. Yeah. Um, and specifically activity relating to things that happened in the early days of Seattle's founding. Yeah. Uh, and we're and not talking about like the the original spiritual activity from right. pre-settlement. But there also because is there's a lot of that. And 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 there is a very rich culture around that yeah. as well, uh, which is really really interesting, but it's it's compared to cities like New York, compared to cities like Boston mm-hmm. that are older cities. Yeah. We have uh, again a, a very very active active place. Mm-hmm. And that's exciting. Yeah, it's exciting because it it um it it tells you a little bit about why we're so depressed. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was the grunge music and yeah, the, that too. Eh. Too much flannel. Is there ever such thing nope. as too much flannel? Nope, none. Oh. Nope. <laughs> uh, but yes, uh, right. It's kind of interesting. So the whole town is fairly haunted but the walker ames house which is again probably the most haunted spot right smack on one. Oh, yep yeah there right, it is yeah so um, oh yeah we need to go yeah it is a fantastic place and it's it's uh they do ghost tours and ghost hunts at the walker ames house as you get closer to i never October. i personally never do as well when i'm on an like a except at certain times but I generally, if I'm on a tour specifically looking for ghost things, right. I'm never going to have as, as specific of an experience. Because that's where we are different. Because yeah. you're a paranormal investigator. Right. I consider myself a medium right. and an empath. And I'm sensitive so d- to energy, but I don't but you're not see, the see things and you don't get no, the specifics I'll as much. I feel weird shit. Yeah. Which isn't the same Versus thing. when I'm just walking around, I will occasionally see people. Yes. I'll see outlines. Um, I'll see things like the more I listen to paranormal podcasts and right. things when people are like, oh, I saw a shadow person. Right. To me, that's just like, a, oh, I just saw another spirit. Right. So I don't know if there's a difference there. Whatever. There, I'm still learning. Is, there's probably. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so or I'll feel emotions suddenly or I'll. Um, m- mine are mine are less about the post production and right. mine are about the current experience because right. um, I remember on my tour one time uh, I think it was oh a God. little girl and you were like yeah yep. she's standing right by you I was like cool yeah <laughs> no that one that was the fun I think that was the best time I've ever had on one of the tours was because we were in the the museum portion right and yeah, you were talking museum. about the doll yes and she the the little girl ghost from the underground mm-hmm. peeked her head around the curtain and was like i was trying to coax her over to play with the doll and she was like no too many people probably yeah yeah um because even when she's active it's usually not when people are there it's after people have left and then you'll suddenly hear something and you're like the doll playing. oh okay yeah yeah which you just did the tour again recently, and I it, I did not give it because I had the undead. I actually didn't end up going. No. Oh, okay. I was going to ask you how. If yeah, you no, anything, I didn't. But, uh, but I'll be there today, so I'll let you know. Uh, yeah. Last time, last time I was there though, because I'll be there in drag today. Right. Last time that I was there in drag, I didn't have any experiences. Interesting. It's very interesting, and I think it it's probably a combination of my energy has changed. Yeah. So I'm not as open to receiving because I have a I have a very specific facade put up and a very specific energy that I'm putting out in drag. So it'll be interesting today because I'm not there to perform. Right. I'm just there for pictures. Yeah. I'm doing a photo shoot in the museum. So 
it'll be interesting to see if that has an impact on it. Well, it's the same way I'll say. I mean, when I am uh, there as a tour guide, I do not have anywhere near the amount of things happen to me as when I am there as an investigator. I um, wish that was the case for me. And, well, <laughs> and I think some of it is it's that same thing. It's like it it is um, different energies that you're putting out. Different energies, and when I'm when I'm tour guiding. I mean, I'm an extroverted introvert. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I have my, you know, to steal from Beyonce, you know, you have your Sasha Fierce. You have your mm-hmm. your persona when yeah, you are absolutely. performing that is not, it's you, but it's not you. And you're not necessarily tapped into those things no. and paying attention to certain things that you would be otherwise. Because your focus is so much on keeping this... Mm-hmm. Uh, this this character, if you will, yeah. going and, and being able to banter with people and being quick and being... Yeah. And my focus is also on my group. Um, it's not that I don't have things happen, but it's a lot rarer, which is why that time Mr. Hansy in the back tunnel grabbed me around the waist in the yeah. tour, and that flipped me out. Because that's not usual. He never bothers me during mm-hmm. the tours. And I was covering for somebody and it was a tour. I and we're talking do. about a non-physical person at this yes, point. Sorry. Just so you all know. <laughs> in Pioneer Square, it can be hard to tell. Um, <laughs> True. There is, there is a spirit in the back tunnels at Spooked who uh, gets... He's a little cranky, but he gets very handsy. And he with does not like me. Which should be interesting because that's where part of our photo shoot is going to be. And we're going to have the right. lights off. And we're going to do some flash photography in there to mm-hmm. get like s- that cool effect that yeah, you get from yeah. that. So we'll see what happens. Because that's where I'm like, I'm glad there are going to be other people in there with yeah. me. Because otherwise I would be dying. Well, because he can also <laughs> be kind of a dick. Oh, he. Yeah. Um, but he likes the women. Yeah. And he gets, he has been known to, he touches women's hair, touch their backs. He's pinched some women on the butt. I had a while ago, a woman on the tour afterwards comes up to me and she's like, I want you to know, I felt someone just stroking my bum. <laughs> just stroking my bum. And I thought it was my husband and he was like four feet away from me and there yep. was no one standing near me. And I was like, oh shit. Yeah. This is that spirit. He is, and yeah. she was blonde. He likes blondes. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, he he just grabbed me around the waist once, and that's the yeah. only time he has ever directly well, done I something think, to me. I think the specific reason he doesn't like me, mm-hmm. and we've talked about this a little yeah. bit, yeah, because um, I tend to be mo- a lot more receptive to, <sighs> lucky me, children's ghosts Children. mm-hmm. and female ghosts. Mm-hmm. Um, but that also, I think, has to do with my own psycho- psychology of just I'm not as open to men in general. Yeah, so male spirits don't get a chance to communicate with me as readily. Yeah. Um, and I've worked with children so much that I'm very comfortable and I can communicate with them easily. Well, he's such um, an interesting spirit too. He, yeah. In a lot of ways. Um, but he seems to be very protective of the little girl back there. Yeah. Um, and we're not quite sure why, but yeah. she tries to communicate with me. And so he doesn't like me because he sees that communication happening yeah. and doesn't want it to happen. So he messes with me mercilessly when I'm there. Do you remember that time that I did the tour and I tried to go in first and my flashlight kept turning off and then turning back on when I came back out and then you walked in first and I didn't have an issue? Yeah. Ugh! Well, and he's also... (laughs) That kind of stuff doesn't normally happen We don't know the exact identity. There's a few theories as to the identity. We don't know his exact identity. And we don't know the identity of the little girl. Yeah. Uh, Record keeping was shit back in the early days. Yep. And there's a couple... There was the lynchings that took place nearby, so that's one of the theories. Although, I don't... 
honestly, I don't personally think that that's who it is. No, he seems to have a lot more authority than that. Well, and that's where I think it's Edmund Crefield, who was the guy. Uh, he was the head of a church called the Holy Rollers of the Brides of Christ. Hmm. Uh, it was in Oregon, actually. But he uh, it was, again, it was him and a bunch of women. And he conducted Gee, a bunch huh. of private prayer Weird. sessions in his tent. Interesting, yeah. But he was shot in the back of the head, right up on the street, right around where the underground tunnel is. Interesting. Uh, by the brother of one of the women who... <laughs> anyway. Good. Um, <laughs> Probably again, deserved it. I don't know that that it's him, but I think it's a greater possibility it's him over the... the Just some random... Yeah. Partially for location. They were lynched a little bit But also bit that's a different... It's a different, it's a energy. different energy. And I don't get the... It's it's an anger, but it's not it's it's not an it's a it's a get the hell off my lawn yeah. rather than a than a revenge thing. But I also that doesn't necessarily fit with Edmund Crefield, who was visiting the city of Seattle at that point. Yeah. So I again, it, it's also entirely and we also possible. don't know who the little girl is either. No, we so have no clue whatsoever. Uh, the there was a child who died. Who was I want to say was struck by something, um, but it was I, I think a little boy. And yeah. Again, record keeping was shit. Well, um, and the so the the fact that I know it's a little girl is just something yeah. that it's one of those things that I can't really explain. It's just like a, oh yeah, it's a little girl. Well, and she's and seen, I've I've and seen her a, a couple of times yeah. and things like that. But that also is backed up by certain other experiences that other people have had. Plus, um, there was a. Rec- recording of her voice at one point correct of someone um, i feel like it was you that told us the story about when the when the museum was first being renovated the the security company called oh we don't know for sure that that's a little girl though but it was okay it was a woman oh it was we, a woman I mean, okay it was a "Quote unquote woman." Okay. Uh, the little girl is is typically thought to be a little on the older end. I mean, probably eleven, twelve, and so is the voice that mm. was being heard. Is was it the little girl or was it a woman? Interesting. We don't know. I mean, and I haven't heard the recording myself. But and the recording doesn't exist. They're ju- they're it wasn't recorded. Yeah, it was, just heard. it was just heard. Um, and so tell the story though, because oh. it's it's here. <laughs> so, campfire time. So uh, ghost story. Back when Spooked in Seattle again has a has a pretty rich history. Uh, the location it's in, it was built right after the Great Seattle Fire, so it's a very old building, and uh, it was it was a theater actually for a number of oh, years. Oh, cool! Um, and it was a restaurant right before we took it over. I could see that. Uh, but while it was still a restaurant, um, the owner of the restaurant one night had gone home and he went to bed and was awoken by his security company, who uh, you know apologized for waking him up and was like, "We didn't even know if we should call you." There's nothing going off, no alarms. There's nothing on the video feed, but we're picking up something strange on the audio. And it was a voice in the dark saying over and over again, is anyone there? And it was not recorded, uh, so we, we can't hear the voice. And that's where I say the voice is looked as, it was identified as female, but, but they don't that, know the we age, don't know yeah. Age. And it can be really hard when listening to those kinds of recordings um, at, at determining. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, usually you can tell gender from these recordings. Yeah. Usually, not always. But age is a tricky thing. Yeah. 
because some, I mean, again, when I was a kid, people thought I was my mom on the phone. Yeah. And when I was young, when I was 10, 11, 12, people thought I was my mom. Mm -hmm. And so is it a little girl? Is it a different spirit? There's a couple other spirits down there. It could be one of the other spirits. Yeah. We know there's at least three spirits down there, but there could be more. Because there's, so there's the, the guy in the, the underground, there's, the there's, the the underground. there's the little girl. There's little girl. There's the third one that comes. The one that throws rocks. The one that throws rocks. <laughs> Which, again, I assume it's a guy. I also assume it's a different spirit than Mr. Hansy because he doesn't yeah. have the same kind of. And he doesn't. Well, Mr. Hansy stays in the underground from what I've as seen. As far as we know. Like, I've never seen him come out of the doorway and when the little girl does. But And, it, and it, the, again, the behavior seems different than the rock throwing. Yeah. Which is so weird to me, but so really funny. Um, hey, I'm here. Yeah, no, it really is. Hey, it's, I'm here. And it's usually with the female investigators. Hey, I'm here. <laughs> but, he, but I will say, that being said, I have had once or twice on my tours pebble throwing. Interesting. And it always it always strikes me because it is unusual. I'm assuming it is him coming back around. I don't yeah. know. And again, I assume it's a him and not a her. Yeah. I don't know that for sure. There is so much speculation involved yeah. with paranormal investigating. Uh, and and that's, where, that's where, like... And correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. but a lot of a lot of groups that'll go in to do an investigation, there'll be the the paranormal investigators and kind of the the hardcore, more um, analytical types, and then a lot of groups will also take along someone like me mm-hmm. as an empath to kind of go in and f- and feel things out and be like, hey, there's more stuff going on over here. Maybe let's focus over here, or like just getting some general readings in the moment that then you can. With that, either you can find out then and take a look at, or if you don't want to deal with confirmation bias, have that held off until later to to help back up certain things. So our team specifically at a ghost, uh, we have our team leader mm-hmm. who is uh, also usually the person who knows the history, who's been speaking with the owners yeah. of the house or the business or wherever it is we are. Um, we have our tech person, we have our recorder, and we have our sensitive. And that might be psychic, that might be medium, that might be, depending on who's available, just somebody who is more sensitive. Mm-hmm. Um, they do not consult with each other as they are taking readings, as they are investigating. Uh, they record everything. You mm-hmm. record everything. If I'm the medium and I see a figure in the corner, I timestamp it, I record what I see, yep. when it happened, etc. But I do not say anything because we are highly suggestible. Yep. If I say, did it just get cold in here, <laughs> two other people in the room are going to say, oh yeah, it is colder in here. Yep. Whereas if you take the temperature and you see that the temperature is dropped, that mm-hmm. is something you have concrete evidence yeah. for. At 903... The temperature went from 74 degrees down to 64 degrees. And that's where you could say, instead of suggesting a specific, you can ask someone else to come over, like switch places with you or well, where. That's why you have more than one person taking readings. Yep. Um, <coughs> to try to get. And you, but you try to not even say that much because if I say, hey, come over here. You're going to expect to find something. You're going to expect to find something. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, we record everything, but we try and our very best. We are human, but we try not to talk about it. Um, we do not know going into investigation, as long as it's not, I mean, if you're going into a historical place, you're probably going to know some of the history. Yeah. And that's to be, like at this point, I know a fair bit about the Walker Ames house, but when the first time I ever investigated it, I didn't. Yeah. And I specifically didn't want to know the history because you don't want the bias. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the danger is like the let's 
look at the little girl, for example. We've had multiple sensitives and mediums mm-hmm. who've gone in and quote unquote made contact. And I don't mean that to sound sarcastic. No. But uh, they've all asked her name. And we've got like five or six different name possibilities. She won't tell me her name. Yeah, that's better than what the rest. I mean, I mean, it's. it's I also usually don't ask for names. If they tell me their name, fantastic. But I usually don't ask for names. A, because a name is power. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to have power over someone. I want them to be able to communicate more freely. Mm -hmm. But also, if I'm focusing on specifics like names, Mm -hmm. I usually am less focused on the person and what they're going through and why they might be there. Whereas as an investigator, what we're looking at is what can we match to history? Uh-huh. And so the very first thing you ask on an EVP session is, can you tell us your name? Yeah. And again, I again, like... Again, difference fra- between investigator and... Exactly. And empath medium. But a, and a big difference there, too, is with an EVP session specifically, and for those of you that don't know, uh, EVP sessions, electronic voice phenomena, are where you take tape recorders... Uh, or digital recorders, you sit down usually for sometimes for 45 minutes to an hour and you ask a shit ton of questions. And when you play the recordings back, you have sometimes caught answers. Yay, answers. But usually the first thing that's asked is what is your name or can you tell us your name? And I do like saying can you tell us your name because it mm-hmm. gives the option. And that being said, yep. they have the option to and tell then they you can always say they no. want. <laughs> or they can just not answer, which yep. is you know, what happens. But um, you conduct an EVP session if you get information from it, it allows you then to look at the history of a place, look Mm -hmm. at records, look at whatever. And that is where, again, as you said, the the difference is that I'm trying to solve a puzzle. I'm Mm -hmm. trying to find out a lot of times who is this person down here. Yeah. And then we go on to things it's like, like the difference between a psychologist and a therapist. Yeah. Yeah. We are. And and we are looking to back it up with evidence versus me just trying to be there as a, support system really where and it's one of the reasons why my boss is as uh hardcore (sighs) as he is about how we conduct ourselves on investigations because reputation is very important yes and backing up findings with evidence for him is very important if we cannot back it up it's it's like on our tours we do not share things we cannot in some way verify to an extent yeah if we can't run it through and do testing and make sure it's not uh, a picture that someone has doctored or audio mm-hmm. that has been had messed with, we will not use it because yeah. all you have as an investigator is your reputation. And it's already something that so many people have so much, I hate to say disdain, but you know, um, so th- uh, I was just at a wedding this past weekend for... <laughs> My cousin's wedding, and, and it was beautiful, it was lovely, yada, yada, yada. But um, it was in a little area just off Oakland, and it was a lot of people I didn't know. And it, it's funny to me, uh, depending on where I am, how I will introduce myself and what I do. Mm-hmm. Because the safe thing to go to is teaching artists. Yeah. Because you work with kids, that's so great. Yeah. And that is a safe yeah. thing to say to people. <laughs> yeah. Uh in New York, a lot of times it's I'm in the theater, and that means yep. as a director, as an actor, as a teaching artist, an educator, whatever. Yeah. Um, when I am doing stuff for the Horror Honeys or when I'm at Crypticon or whatever, it's, you know, I write for this website magazine, and I am a paranormal investigator. There's different things depending on the crowd you're yeah. in. And I find it really interesting, like this last weekend, bringing up the paranormal investigating for the most part was not something I felt like was going to be well received. I felt like it was going to get that reaction of like, 
oh. Oh. Oh, you're one of those people. Yeah. Yeah. And what I wish people would better understand, and this is where I also hate some of the, the paranormal shows, that <sighs> use such questionable practices is yeah. it gives all of us a really bad name. When yeah. at the end of the day, the level of, I mean, again, so much data collecting, so many, mm-hmm. the equipment we use, everything, it's so meticulous. The procedure is so meticulous. Mm-hmm. And it's not... We are we are looking to find scientific evidence. We are looking yeah. for facts. Yeah. And I love working with mediums and psychics because that's exciting and it's fun. Uh-huh. And I like it when I feel something on an investigation because I know what I feel and I can say to myself, I'm experiencing something right now. That being yeah. said, I cannot take that it's as evidence. It's not verifiable, yeah. I cannot say to somebody, you know, well, what happened on this investigation? Well, I felt something. Yeah. Okay, and that's where you, and some people get excited about it yeah. because they understand. They're like, "Oh wow, tell me about what you experienced." And then the other people who are like, "You felt something." Mm-hmm. On tours uh-huh. all the time, Good people for are you, like, honey. "What's the <laughs> you know what's the creepiest thing that ever happened?" And I'm like, "Well, see, that sort of depends on what you think is creepy. What you think is creepy because I could talk about times that again, like I thought somebody slapped my hand, or I felt hands on my shoulders, or I felt myself being." grabbed around the waist versus like things for me that would be creepy are like my cell phone battery visibly yes. dying as i'm watching evps it. that i've caught EVP, yeah things like that or Pictures. like um the video that i caught that one time where all uh-huh. of the sound was gone and clips were missing yes that stuff is creepy That's to weird. me versus like if if i feel a spirit touching me mm-hmm. if i see something i'm like oh cool this is for me this is verifiable this is an experience yes. Versus going back later and being like, that's not what's supposed to be there. <laughs> that creeps me out because it means that they were actually messing with me versus having a conversation with me. The surprise touching gets to me because uh, I'm I like when I catch EVPs, I'm excited. Mm-hmm. It's not creepy. Or when there's pictures or when there's weird things like that with my tech, I get excited because it means, again, to me, it means something was there. Mm-hmm. When one of, when my God, that when he grabbed me around the waist, I think that is among the most startled I've ever been mm. to the point where I almost, I was in the middle of a tour. I do not lose my shit on tours, even when weird things yeah. happen. And I almost lost my shit because it was like, I was bear hugged from yeah. behind. And I'm was standing. That, was that before or after the, that, the second time I went on the tour with you? I think it that was, was. I think that was after because yeah. uh, that was I, not recently. Because that's that the closest he, that guy's ever gotten to me. Because I was standing next to you. Um, yeah. In the corner a, over there because we figured that's where we would be safe. And then he, like, started standing behind us. And <laughs> and the lights were all out. And we kind of, like, is he sitting? Is he sitting? It was a couple months ago. I want to say it was in the spring that it okay. happened. Um, and it, I was covering someone else's tour. It was a 6 o'clock tour, too, which, again, are not... Uh, Maybe mean, that's why was the the routine was disrupted. The routine was and disrupted. And routine disruption is always a big and this was a when big deal. He like during the summertime, the routine is frequently disrupted. Like yeah. I'm covering tours left and right because people go on vacation, yeah. and people are covering for me because I'm on vacation. But it was a time of the year where the routine was rarely disrupted, and again, I it it genuinely surprised me. And I had some girls on the tour who were already really really anxious they were younger they were 
like late teens and they were getting really easily freaked out by stuff and i was a little concerned going in that yeah. he was actually going to mess with them and they wouldn't have dealt well with it they were yeah. they were genuinely freaking out which is again fairly rare i have people who kind of fun freak out but they were really really getting nervous interesting and uh i was in the middle of telling some story and i felt him bear hug me hmm. and i to the point where my voice stopped for a second because it surprised me so much yeah and some part of my brain knew i needed to not really react because those two girls probably would have ran it's out called being screaming. a teacher <laughs> yeah no, it was, it yeah. was like teacher brain teacher over, and brain even though it really rattled disturbed me you yeah because of how physical the contact was yeah it wasn't a brush on the arm it wasn't feeling so it was like it's squeezing the air out of my lungs for a second yeah and it really and that's not typical for him either he he does the hair brushes he does yeah. the touching the shoulder the touching on the bottom but this was like did you aggressive. ask did had you have you asked the usual tour guide for that specific tour if she's experienced things like that before she hasn't. weird uh most of them i mean every so often they'll you know like oh someone may have touched me but it's it's hard to say. It's interesting. But uh, I was going to say, maybe that's something that he usually does during that specific tour to that tour guide. He and he usually, was just shocked that it was you. He usually leaves the tour guides alone. Except for you. <laughs> Except but just one time. Yeah. It's the only time he has ever done. Pebble thrower has thrown pebbles at me a couple times. But again, I'm also maybe there it was, as an investigator. And that's where that's where my brain starts working because that's what those are the things that I think about right. is like. Well, maybe he then was trying to get a reaction out of you because he knew there were people on the tour that if you had reacted, it would have messed with it them more with than them. him touching them. And the only other that thing, kind of a thing I wonder is if it wasn't him, but the little girl. But that's not typical behavior. No, that's for not. Her at or maybe all. it was. Maybe it was pebble thrower. I don't think it was. He doesn't. Okay. He doesn't make physical contact. See, these he are the questions that go through my mind, which is there. It's a different line of questioning right. than what you would go through. One. Like the there's two children at Merchants Cafe, and I'm pretty sure because my skirt gets regularly tugged there, but it gets mm. tugged from lower, like a little kid yep. trying to get my attention. And I'm fairly positive when I feel my skirt getting tugged, it's one of the children yeah. trying to get my attention or just acknowledge, you know, hi, I'm here today. Yeah. Uh, and that never throws me again. It's a yeah. little, it's a little thing. Somebody is tugging my skirt. Yeah. And it's a little thing, and I acknowledge them. And that's one of those places where I don't necessarily get specific things that right. happen to me. Um, you were there that one time we went and got drinks. Yeah. Um, it was after a tour, mm -hmm. so I can go. I went. We went into the basement, did mm -hmm. part of the tour down there. You kind of sat around. There's a group of people. Right. It was great. We went back upstairs. Right. And then Kim and I went back after the tour and got had drinks because yeah. I hadn't ever really hung we were out there. Then. We were upstairs. Mm -hmm. Um, in that one corner. There, yeah, there were a couple yeah. little things that we were like, that could have been this, but it could have been something yeah. else, whatever. And there's so much energy there. Yeah. Hard to say. And, and um, then we, then I was like, let's go downstairs one more time because there's no one down there anymore because it's so late. Right. And before we leave, let's just walk downstairs, see what happens. We walked down the stairs and we got to the, the last step. Mm -hmm. And I was about to take the step down onto the floor. And I was just like, I can't. Yeah. They don't want me here. Yeah. So that's that's one of those situations where I don't even have a specific person right. that's trying to get me. It's just a, a group or like it's a it's a general feeling of you are not wanted here, yeah. um, which is different from my usual 
weird social thing of like, oh, no one likes me, la, la, la. but it's a, <laughs> no, you come down here, we will mess with you to the point where you're not going to be okay. <laughs> well, and it's, it's interesting to me because generally the spirits do not mess with the tour guides. Yeah. Generally. I mean, again, there's, there's moments we'll have, but they don't. I, I, again, I'm looking at merchants like uh, there was one of the kitchen workers. I don't think he's there anymore. Who there was a period of time last summer mm-hmm. that the spirits were being super aggressive towards him. I mean, they pushed him what, down the stairs. What was that place? I know you told us during because it's been a photo studio at one point. The basement merchants down Cafe. there. Yeah, uh, it was originally a photography studio pre Great Seattle Fire. It is okay. Where uh, Chief Seattle had yeah, his yeah. photograph taken. It's also where Doc Maynard had his photograph Interesting. taken. Which we don't really talk about Doc Maynard on the tour much, so I don't usually bring that up. But uh, it was a uh, it was a very well known uh, photography studio, and it burnt down during the Great Seattle Fire. It built it burnt down in 1889, and it was rebuilt in 1890 as Merchants Cafe. Do we know? This is these are the questions I love asking. Yes. Do we know what kind of photography? Because I know there was in really only one kind well, of well, no, as in like I know in New York, um, at that time period, there was a big emphasis on spiritual photography, portrait photography, just regular portrait photography. Regular portrait okay, photography. I mean, like, so uh, you, you had the spiritualist movement going on at the same time. This yeah. was the Northwest; people weren't doing that shit here. Yeah, uh, that <laughs> <laughs> that's why I asked. Um, no, uh, uh, and and to be fair, the the spiritualist movement that you were seeing in the 1890s, you were seeing in the early 1900s, was largely largely fake yeah <laughs> con people yeah um no it was uh portrait photography um, okay it was uh uh again that's where you which have is interesting to me that then there's so many it's like why is there such a presence mm. all these spirits there. are post great seattle fire none of these are oh interesting what was it right after seattle the great seattle fire it was merchant's cafe 1890s when oh it it's just oh so interesting. great seattle fire was 1889 nobody is recorded as dying in the great seattle fire yeah other than a million rats which is so weird. You'd think that someone would have died with it is the, the amount. possible somebody did, but it was never recorded. Well, in in which case it was most likely I'm sure lower one, class or I'm sure servants. I'm one or, person yeah. died. That being said, nobody was recorded no as recorded, him had died. Yeah. And to be fair, as fast as the fire burned, people knew it was happening. Yeah. It was, it was one of those where, um, and again, it was a perfect storm of shit happening. Yeah. Like, when when all of the local people went to fight the fire, they didn't coordinate it, and so you had all these fire hoses trying to do at the same time, and so all the water just went like, you know, like a drunk dick, just boom. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I can swear on this podcast. Yes, you I can. can. Family friendly tour, so I have to get it out now. Um, it was a perfect storm of of shit happening. Yeah. And so people knew that the fire was going on. But at some point, fairly early, they were like, we're kind of shit out of luck. It's just just odd to me. That specific space is odd to me because it's such such an angry feeling and such a territorial feeling. Which, again, you're looking at the, the guy with the safe primarily. He is a but lot downstairs. Of the oh no, he is downstairs. He's downstairs. He's oh, okay. Because uh, see, okay. Was he an, was he one of the original proprietors then, he was, or um, back during the gold rush, which Merchants was built in 1890. Mm-hmm. So again, and the gold Seattle rush is a happened. big thing. Gold rush was huge in Seattle. We were we were the gateway to Alaska. We were great. I feel like there's a some kind of sex joke there. Um, Alaska's <laughs> butthole. 
for all the toxic we were, masculinity we to come of, in. We were basically <laughs> the whorehouse on the way to Alaska, yep. for lack of a better term. Yep. Um, so, uh, largest flux of people we ever had through the city. 70,000 people came through the city during the gold rush. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a huge, huge time. Um, uh, gold rush was late 1890s, but you were seeing the start of it in the early 1890s. But the, the vast majority of it was late 1890s, 1897, that sort of thing. And um, this guy was basically a bouncer. Mm. Uh, he was in charge of that large safe. But at the time, this was still the ground floor. Yeah. So the safe, which is now on the second floor, what is now currently the ground floor, but this is when the city was being raised up. It initially was on sea level, which is what is now the basement. And again, for those of you who don't know, Seattle has a whole underground area to it. Uh, because we raised up after the fire, we raised the city up a whole level and built a seawall. So he, when he was around, he would have been on the ground floor. They moved the safe to the second level at some point, uh, which, P.S., that safe weighs a fuck ton. Yeah, so I don't want to know how they did no, that. Me neither. A lot of winches. A lot of, yes. Uh, but... Um, there is nothing that's ever suggested he only stays now on the second floor. Interesting. Uh, maybe he does, but there's so many spirits there, and there's a lot yeah. of activity on the stairwell. Yes. And I have a hard time believing the spirit that's grabbing people's legs and pulling them out from under them is the one of the kids, because they're not that malicious. No, it makes more sense that he thinks that people are going upstairs to get to the safe, and it's just like, no. Well, he also doesn't appreciate, he's one of the ones that, and to be fair, this kitchen worker who was getting the shit kicked out of him, he was getting grabbed on the stairs, he was getting scratches on the Oh my God. Oh no, it was awful. The thing was, he was sort of antagonizing them, because he'd get really, really pissed. I also have to wonder if he may have resembled somebody who one of the spirits didn't like. And then the more... Uh, you know, antagonistic he got, the worse it got. Yeah. Which, like, again... Here's the thing. Treat spirits the, the way you would treat a human. Yes. A, a living human. Because they are humans. So, uh... At one point in time. Be kind to them or they come back with a vengeance. Well, it, it's, it's <laughs> where you get into, you know, there's different kinds of hauntings and... There is debate as to whether or not there are demonic hauntings, and there's a lot of religion yeah, starts to I'd, play into I'd that. Say, yeah, I'd um, say if, coming from the, the Christian viewpoint, right. a demonic haunting would be considered more of a uh, a territorial demon in that it, 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 a, a demon kind of takes a certain space and is kind of claims it and is like, we're going from here. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, and or that there's some other spirit that's kind of that it's interested in that it's holding on to, and <laughs> so here's the thing. And again, I was raised Catholic. Sorry, um, I personally put less stock in demonic hauntings than some people do. Some people mm-hmm. are real quick to call something a demonic haunting. Oh no, no, no! And I think you can tell the difference real easy. Well, it, not. That like there's assholes when we were humans, and I think if you're dead, you're gonna oh, yeah. be an asshole. If you were an asshole in life, you're an oh, asshole yeah. in death. So I think sometimes what people mistake for a demonic haunting because it's, it's doing just a it's just a asshole. Dick. Yeah, it's just somebody who they were aggressive in life, they're aggressive in death, and they're easy. To and anger. when I say it's easy to tell the difference, for me, it's easy to tell the difference right. because I've had very clear experiences with what I would consider an angel, what I would consider demons, and what I would right. consider humans. But for again. 
but for others. Yeah. And and not even for others. Scientifically, which as a paranormal investigator, that's what I care about. Yes. The paranormal investigator side of me. I the other side of me is interested in these things, but on the yeah. paranormal investigation Absolutely. side. Absolutely. I have to look at what I can prove, what are facts, what are things we can gather evidence for. Yeah. Uh, it's the same reason. So look at looking at like the Enfield haunting. Which again, Google it. It's a fascinating haunting. Mm-hmm. It is God help me. It is uh, the basis for the second Conjuring movie, but please do not use that movie as fact. It is not fact. That is not how it all went down. The Warrens had next to nothing to do with it. Uh, Sorry. Um, (laughs) And that's Kim's rant for the day. Ooh, I just got the low battery signal on my Uh computer. So tell the story, and then we'll then we'll wrap Uh, up. Anyway, it is it is um, one of the most well-known hauntings in the UK, and I, it's a very in-depth. Ha- I'm not going to get into the whole case. It's really interesting. It involves primarily one young girl, but the the sister was also experiencing things. But there, even there, there is. It is sometimes called a haunting. It is sometimes called a poltergeist. And depending on who you ask, there is debate as to whether or not it was a ghost or a poltergeist, and there is a distinction between the two. <laughs> and so, it is a really really hard thing to look at with certainty and say. This is definitively what is happening because we just don't know. Yeah. And that's the thing with paranormal stuff. We don't know. We don't know. <laughs> well, thank you for coming in. I really appreciate it. I love talking to you. I love talking and we'll probably we'll probably get some more in at some point. That's some more podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> um, in the meantime, you can find Kim. I'll put all of Kim's links and horror honeys and spooked in Seattle in the description box. Um, as with my stuff as well. Um, but yeah, this has been Yeah But. Thank you, Kim, for being here. Thank you for having me. And see you all later. Bye. Thank you for listening to Yeah But with Vivian Gabor. Tune in next week, same place, same time. Oh.